episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Oro Recovery. Located in Malibu and in Western Los Angeles, Oro was created by our very good friend, Bob Forrest, and his friends, Evan, Jarrett, and Bob. Their mission, to treat addiction and alcoholism with connection and compassion rather than control. The staff at Oro has decades and decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. Everybody that I know that has been to Oro can't say enough good things about it. So if you are struggling with alcohol or drug addiction, check it out. The amenities you wouldn't believe, fucking equine therapy, surfing, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge, and so much more. So if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get some help, I cannot suggest going to Oro nearly enough. Check it out at ororecovery.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Your Sober Buddy. Your Sober Buddy is an incredible app that helps you get and stay sober. It is like having an actual sober buddy in your pocket. I've been using the Sober Buddy app. I like the challenges. The other day, they they challenged me to wear a shirt inside out all day, and I did it. Challenge accepted and completed, and I, well... I wear shirts inside out all the time, so it wasn't that big a deal. But I love Sober Buddy. They challenged me to buy a stranger a cup of coffee. I bought them a cup of coffee, and I felt great about it. They make you look at your life in a different way. Also, they have an amazing free Sober Tracker. So go to the App Store and the Google Play Store and download the Your Sober Buddy app. Go now. Go to YourSoberBuddy.com and download the free tracker and post your clean time. They also have a a medically-assisted treatment 
run on Sober Buddy. So go to YourSoberBuddy.com and check it out. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Evolution Accounting and Consulting. They are a full-service accounting firm that can help with your taxes, bookkeeping, payroll, and almost any other business need you have. Thanks to technology, they work with people from all over the country and pride themselves on building exceptionally strong relationships with their clients. They say that their passion allows you to pursue yours because they understand the stress caused by worrying about taxes and accounting issues. When you allow them to take this off your plate, you'll be freed up to focus on what you love to do. Perhaps most important than anything else, the firm is run by a certifiably fucking crackhead. Fortunately, he's been in recovery for years now, and he knows the struggle as well as the success. Use promo code DOPEY when you connect with them at www.evolution-accounting.com to receive special discounts. That's www.evolution-accounting.com. Check them out. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Mobilize Recovery. My friend Ryan Hampton and his team uh, set this thing up. It's an amazing nonprofit and a way for you to pitch in and help end overdose and addiction in America. There is a way for everyone to get involved. There is no cost, no cost, and there is no hidden agenda. Mobilized Recovery is about you, our community, and what we can do together to inspire recovery solutions all across the United States. Go to mobilizerecovery.com and here's Ryan to tell you more. Ryan Hampton, our friend. Hey everybody, this is Ryan Hampton, recovery advocate and founder of Mobilize Recovery. And I'm jumping on with Dopey today because we need you to help end overdose and addiction and inspire solutions for recovery across the United States. This September, the nonprofit initiative Mobilize Recovery is launching a national bus tour in partnership with iHeartMedia and Google. And we want to learn what your community, your organization, and your projects are doing to mobilize for change. Help us map the journey across the country. Learn more today at mobilizerecovery.org and submit your ideas to us. There's so many ways for you to get involved and to help us highlight the recovery experience that is so unique in different regions across all 50 states. Go to mobilizerecovery.org to learn more and to help us map this journey. And I hope we get to meet so many of you this coming September during National Recovery Month. So hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. Hope everybody's good. My name is Dave. It's a thrill, it's a pleasure, and an honor to have you guys listening to the 360th episode of Dopey, which I think is pretty impressive. I'm going to try to hit the applause. No, that's not it. No. There we go. 360 episodes. And uh, obviously a lot has happened since we started, but we're not doing a retrospective. I just think 360, 360 degrees, man. It's all happening, man. Uh, Today we have a killer show. After, I think it's his fourth appearance, the great Brandon Novak is coming in. And uh, he actually showed up at my dad's house, which was just so thrilling. 
I have to just describe it. I went downstairs to meet him. He's standing in front of the deli across the street, the sun beating down on him. He's wearing a black and white polka dot shirt, unbuttoned with the wife beater, the sunglasses. He looked like a a serious skateboarding superstar, a movie star maybe even. And I was all scrubbed out in the fucking Reebok shorts and the Katz's shirt and the, the grizzly demeanor, long gray beard and uh, un, uncoiffed hair. And I'll, I'll post a picture so you guys could see the disparity between our beauty. But it was a thrill that he came on. But before we get to the great Brandon Novak and possibly his greatest appearance on Dopey. I would say this was his greatest appearance on Dopey. I want to tell you guys about stuff. First of all, are you subscribed to Dopey? Please subscribe to Dopey. I think something would change if you guys subscribe to Dopey. And leave a review because the reviews make my dad so happy. Next week I'll have my dad read some reviews. He's not coming on this week, so don't get your hopes up. Next week my dad will read some reviews. I haven't mentioned... The Dopey Candles in so long, I want to lead off with them. North Avenue Candle Company and Dopey are in an amazing collaboration. They're making really beautiful candles uh, with Dopey scenes, Dopey tableaus. So check it out at northavcandles.com slash collection slash Dopey. We have a link on the website at dopeypodcast.com. Check that shit out. Go to YouTube, subscribe to YouTube. Lots of amazing stuff is on YouTube. We have a new kind of depth of the Daily Reflections featuring Andy Roy, Fentanyl J. We did some today at the beach. Go to YouTube and subscribe. Subscribe to Patreon. Fucking Scott Wick of the Dopey Nation is on Patreon this week. Plus some other goodies. Walker Hayes video is on Patreon. I know you guys were pretty mixed about Walker Hayes, but I still can't get those songs out of my head. Holy cow. Uh, we have merch available at dopeypodcast.com. We're an amazing, we're in an amazing partnership with SRO Prince out of Cincinnati. If you need a print job, go to SRO Prince. We have new shit coming out. Uh, every Buddha I think shipped this week. I finally caught up on my shipping. If you want snapbacks, we we made Big Bird snapbacks. If you want that, hit me up on Instagram. Don't go to dopeypodcast.com. We are all caught up in shipping. And if you uh, disagree with that, write me an email at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. It's, a, it's an amazing time for Dopey. I feel really good about the show. Um, if you guys are not doing well, if you are struggling with drugs and addiction, please reach out to somebody. It can be me. It can be a friend. It can be somebody at a meeting. I went, um, I've been like working my program hard, sponsoring people, fucking, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. And somebody reached out the other day from Iowa, this couple, and they're strung out on heroin and the woman relapsed on meth. And, um, and they're on a high dose of methadone and they reached out and um, it was an honor to be able to help. And it made me realize that there's probably a lot of people out there that could use help. Um, you can reach out to me on Instagram, but I would, I, I, what I'd suggested to them was that they go to the Dopey Zoom. And the Dopey Nation Zoom is a, is a great spot where you can get support and, and we can 
you know, the dopey Zoom people are addicts in and out of recovery, and they might offer some guidance. And the dopey Zoom is posted, and let me find the address. The dopey Zoom address is, I should just know it by heart. I'm sure Liz Ann is like, why don't you know it by heart? Um, the dopey Zoom address is always, the ID is 804-300-586. The password is toodles with lowercase. Um, we also can give out subscript, uh, scholarships to treatment. So please reach out if you need treatment. Justin Cambria is helping me out. He is running the Toodles for Chris scholarships. If you have insurance, it really helps. But if you're ready to go to treatment, reach out. What the hell? During this show with uh, Brandon Novak, I talked about it being my 30th high school reunion. And I went and it was awesome. I, I mentioned that last week with Dave, too. It was really an interesting experience. And it, and it reminds me of uh, my past. And right now, Linda and I are like killing ourselves because we're doing a yard sale this weekend. And I swear to God, the yard sale is like the total like personification or the, the an, an absolutely accurate metaphor. Liter I don't know if it's a metaphor or if it's a personification. I don't know what literary term it is, but it is, I'm going through the wreckage of my past. I'm going through clothes that I, that I wore using. I'm going through shit that I bought when I first got clean. And um, it's exciting. And you wanna hear the most exciting thing? The most exciting thing is I found the old computer, um, which may or may not have the lost Depi, Depi, the lost dopey episodes on them, the Depi Conqueror on them. The lost dopey episodes might be on the old computer, but, uh, the mouse pad doesn't work. I can't press the button. I can't click and see if uh, if they're available. So the yard sale is all this fucking shit. So if you're going to be in Sayville tomorrow, you should come to our yard sale and buy some crap. I think I'm going to try to sell some Oyve hats. But everything is going to be cheap except Oyve hats. I think I'm going to sell for 25 bucks. What are you going to do? Also, this month, if you're a dopey patron, the dopey Patreon Zoom is going to change. It's going to be on Wednesday night, the last Wednesday of the month at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you're not a patron member, Patreon member, this is the time to join. We have so much fun at the Patreon Zoom. And if you are a patron and you don't come, please come the last Wednesday of June at, uh, at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'll post about it. Um, I love our little community. I love the Dopey Nation, and uh, you guys wouldn't believe the exciting shit that is coming down the pike. I have more interviews banked than I ever have, and there's some fucking heavy hitters, so it might really be a new Wicked Fire Summer. Anyway, we have a new sponsor. The new sponsor is called Copy My Crypto, and uh, we've all seen so many people making crazy money from crypto, but did you know it's easy for you to do the same? The Copy My Crypto membership site allows you the coins that the YouTuber James McMahon personally holds and allows you to copy him. It's like having a big brother who knows what he's doing. You don't need to know a thing about crypto or how to invest as you simply do what he does. So let me tell you more about James. 
He runs the Crypto with James YouTube channel, which has over 19,000 subscribers. And since March 2020, he's told his viewers to buy 26 crypto coins. Had you put in 100 bucks into each one, it would now be worth, holy shit, over $53,000. Of the 26 coins, his top pick of the year, a coin called Phantom, is currently up over 410 times from what he said. That one alone has retired a number of people, including guys in their 20s and 30s. Remember, this is public knowledge. You can go to YouTube and verify this yourself. So if you'd like to join the 1,300 members who copy James, then stop what you're doing and head over to copymycrypto.com dopey. You'll not only find proof of everything I've said, but Dopey Nation members, Dopey listeners, get full access for just $1. You won't find this offer anywhere else, but act fast because the offer ends soon. That's copymycrypto.com slash dopey, which is, of course, spelled D-O-P-E-Y. Don't take this offer lightly. This dude is the real deal. Go visit the site now, and um, who knows? Maybe you could be a crypto millionaire. I would like to be a crypto millionaire. I think I'm going to check out Copy My Crypto and throw a couple bucks at it, but you never know. You never know what can happen. I actually stumbled across a bunch of original DopeyCon t-shirts, I have one for the for the great Steven Schneider of Dopey Patreon. But I, I mean, if you guys want any, I'll post them. Maybe you guys want some. I have a few left over from the first DopeyCon. And I wonder who's coming to DopeyCon 3. It's between two locations, the one really lavish 300-plus person venue and the other 198-person uh, theater. So we're trying to figure that out. I would love to know if you wanted to come please drop me an email at dopeypodcast.gmail.com. Let me know if you want to come to DopeyCon 3. It's October 1st in New York City. Brandon Novak will be there. Andy Roy will be there. Fentanyl J, Aaron Carr, Smiling Joe. It's a lot of folks. A lot of things are going down October 1st, and I hope to see you guys. I know uh, hardcore OG dopes, Annie Ellie, Annie Ellie from the UK will be there, as well as fan favorite Mick Popham from New Zealand. And he's got a voicemail on the show today. So come to DopeyCon 3. It will be great. We're going to cater it from Katz's. It is going to be a serious dopey hoedown for sure. Um, and before we get into the show, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, BetterHelp.com. When Sam quit Dopey, now before I even get into that, I want to give Sam, producer Sam, ex-producer Sam, a lot of credit that I don't give him. Uh, I didn't give him enough credit. Uh, when Chris died, Sam stepped into the show, and, uh, and he made the show fun for me to do. So I want to give Sam, ex-producer Sam, a lot of credit for, for saving Dopey. So let's give it, for, give it up for Sam for a second. And, um, but when Sam quit the show, I knew I needed to get back in therapy and my therapist was out of town. So I started to do, uh, online therapy 
And it really, really, really helped me out. And, and I really got a ton out of it. And BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Dopey listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp dot com slash dopey podcast that's b-e-t-t-e-r-h-e-l-p dot com slash dopey podcast um it helps to talk to somebody about shit it helps to to do online therapy and it's really helped me so check them out at better help and that's not better health it's better dot com slash dopey podcast and save your 10 percent and um we had a great honor of having Brandon Novak on the show. So here we go. Brandon Novak on the show. It is a, it's a banner day in dopey history. We've had this guest on before several times, but I never thought the day would come that he is sitting in my dad's kitchen. He's a ex-professional skateboarder. He's an author, TV star, fucking magnanimous person in recovery. Brandon Novak, welcome back to the show. You're being far, far, far too kind. Oh, come on. And I think you're just, you're doing it because I'm sitting in front of your fucking face. I'd like to do a nice introduction. <laughs> well, the, 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 unfortunately, the audience didn't hear the best part of the show that's already taking place. Before we get on, I'm, I'm bitching about I don't want to put the headphones on because I just, I don't like that. And honestly, because it'll fuck my hair up and I have a, I'm going to see this friend of mine later. His hair looks good. And, okay. And, but, but you say, oh, well. Here, I'll give you the professional one. And as he hands me the professional one, I knock over his dad's pepper and salt shaker on the kitchen table here. Weird, the weird, like, it's the weird pill bottle. That covered by, yeah, yeah <laughs> he's got the, a, a pill bottle where the label's been ripped off and it's got handwritten shit on it. Yeah, it doesn't look that professional. It's a fucking mini bar over here to my right. And Do you feel comforted, though, to be here? <laughs> I, I feel like uh, I've partied in many of these rooms. Well, welcome. Welcome to Dopey. Welcome back to Dopey. Yeah. I, I never thought I'd meet you in person and I'm upstairs like whatever getting my shit together and Brandon's wandering around he's like I'm across the street at the gourmet deli so I go downstairs and he was a vision a vi I gotta take a picture fucking sunglasses on the sun is on him polka dot shirt the wife beater the chains and I look like the biggest scrub in the universe with a cat's shirt and the ugly shorts but Brandon, you look like a vision today. I'm so excited to have you in person. Well, that's, you know, you, I clearly dressed up. You dressed down, and it's kind of like the yin to my yang. It worked. Theory. And dude, years ago, fucking maybe five years ago, in this apartment, me and Chris were on the terrace. I was probably smoking cigarettes still, and we were so excited because we were going to call you. We called you. Chris sat in that chair. I sat in this chair, and you were out to dinner in New York because your friend... I had remember just that. died. Yeah. So yeah. like, it's a long, we've known each other without knowing each other. <laughs> we have some history. So you were just telling a fucked up story. And I feel like, I feel like to jump in on that story. I mean, I just read the streets of Baltimore. I cannot recommend it enough. It's a ridiculous, <laughs> debaucherous ride. But this story you were telling me is fucked up. And I think it's not in the book. So could you tell that story? Yeah. You know, as a direct result of my alcoholism and addiction, I have an abundance of stories that just never wear thin and people seem to like them. And I forget them and then they come back to play. And it's like, why well, didn't I heard that? And so the one that we were just talking about is. Um, but by the way, don't the headphones sound good? They, they it do. It feels professional. I, 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 don't, right? I don't really want to give you the credit, but it. it, it, it 
it makes me a little more interested in doing this because I'm hearing myself and that's the best fucking noise in the world to me. It sounds like you and you you got a good voice and the head and I gave you the, the pro headphones. <laughs> I took the shitty headphones. So. <laughs> How fucking kind of you. But this story pertains to me, I'd say two weeks before I go into treatment. And uh, I'm on parole in Chester County, Pennsylvania, and I have this amazing parole officer, and, and her name is Michelle. I'm not going to give her last name, but she's almost like a very motherly figure to me. She, she always kind of met me where I was at and, and never talked to me or at me but with me and made me feel very comfortable. Um, and I took advantage of that, as we do, as an alcoholic, untreated, and uh, I played off her... Her love, what at her the trust? Yeah, her trust, her love, what at the time I perceived as her weakness. Right? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> and um, because I was the kind of alcoholic, you tell me you love me, I got you, right? Like for at least ten bucks. What's an IOU? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm supposed to be in Pennsylvania. I'm not supposed to leave the state of Pennsylvania. I'm supposed to be sober. I'm supposed to remain sober, and I'm supposed to give a urinalysis once a month. I, at at the time I received this phone call, I'm in Baltimore City, I'm at my mother's house, held up. I'm, I'm shooting at least $180 worth of speedballs every day. Um, uh, and if I attempted to uh, piss into a cup, it would light up like a Christmas tree. She calls me and she said, um, hey Brandon, how are you? Uh, I need you to come in tomorrow morning for your analysis. And I said, Michelle, I, I can't. Uh, unfortunately, my mother passed away and I'm in Baltimore um, planning the arrangements, meaning her funeral. Now, my mother didn't die. How often had you ever told that lie? I had never told that. Because you have such a close relationship with your mom. It's funny that you asked that question. You're a good fucking interviewer. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, and the reason why I know I'm shooting 180 bucks worth of speedballs every day is because I would steal her ATM card every morning when I woke up, and I would hit the debit, I'd hit the, the bodega ATM and pull 180 out every day. The reason why I know that as well is because I've made financial amends and paid that back for three months straight, 180 bucks a day. Even in the midst of doing that and, and living in this chaotic insanity, and she called me, and I knew what she wanted, I went into the backyard, I'll never forget it, and I paced in circles, knowing that this was the only lie that would buy me some time, but I knew that like if I told this, I was gonna unleash a, a, a demon that I couldn't bring back away. Because the truth would probably come out. Yeah, and even if not, I didn't want that, I believe in karma, and I didn't want to put that on my mother. Of course. Like, because God forbid that really took place. And like, I just knew that it was a lie much bigger than me that I couldn't handle once I said it. But my back was against the wall. It was a card. It was the card to play. I had to. I had to. And, and it wasn't business. It was just personal. It was a desperate. It was a desperate. I mean, it wasn't personal. It was just business. It yeah. was desperation. Like 100%. So I call Michelle and I say, Michelle, uh, I'm, I'm in Baltimore, my mother passed, I'm making the arrangements. And she said, oh no, I'm so sorry. And she said, okay, do what you need to do, get your affairs in order and, and whatever. And I forget what happened, but I ended up in treatment shortly thereafter. And I'm in treatment and I know things are different internally, but I also know from my past experiences that I'm the boy that's cried wolf a lot. Not even intentionally, just because I didn't understand the opponent that I was up against. I, I undermined my alcoholism. Um, so I, I said, re- I can relate to you that. You know, like I said, yes. I believed it when I was saying it and, and you know how it goes. And, but this time I knew, I knew, but I wasn't saying it cause I had learned and, and, and I'm into my treatment center and, and I'm working the steps. I got a sponsor. I'm like, I'm doing the deal. And around, this is a 90 day treatment center stay and around, I'd say 
two months in. So I'm probably on like my fifth or sixth step at this point. Because on my 90th day, when I left, I was on my eighth step making my list of amends that I was going to make. And, um, and my therapist, Christina, she said, uh, Brandon, your parole officer, Michelle, called. And it's on a Friday. She said, let's, let's call her back. So I go to the office and we call Michelle and Michelle answers and I said, hey, Michelle. And Michelle never called me. Like she wasn't going to interrupt my treatment. She, you know, and I knew something was up. And she said, I, I need to ask you a question. I said, yeah. And she said, I want you to know if, if you lied to me, it's the worst lie that anyone's ever said to me and I will violate you. So two warnings that she gave me before she asked the question. You've broken my heart and I will fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm doing the steps. I, I, I'm on my eighth step. Like, I'm, I'm doing the deal. It's a real moment. Yes. And, uh, and I said, okay, sure, Michelle. And, and I'm sincere in what I'm saying to her. And she said, okay, have you been going out to the bars in Westchester? I'm like, I'm in treatment. I've been in treatment. My therapist is right here. Would you like to speak to her? And she said, no, that's okay. She said, some people said they spotted you at the bar. And I said, whatever, that happens often. She said, the second question I have to ask is, is did your mother really pass away? Mm. And it, I went right back to pacing in that backyard of her house. Uh, and, and I just, ah, I said, God damn. And I, I didn't want to lie to her, but she promised she was going to send me back. I didn't want to go to jail. And I was like serious about staying sober this time. And I said, yes, Michelle, she did. Mm. And, and she said, okay, I'm going to need to see. Um, Death certificate. I'm going to need to see an obituary. And I said, okay, no problem. I hang up. Now, you would think my second call would be to my sponsor because I'm doing the deal. Nope. It's right to my assistant. And I said, CJ, I need you to draft up an obituary with my mother's face and name on it. And he, wow. said, he said, are you insane? He said, they will surely find out. I'm doing the deal. I'm finishing 90 days of treatment. I'm going to a sober living house. I have a job at a diner. I'm going to wash dishes. I have a plan. And, and I, I Hold on. Who's, why do you have an assistant? Um, because I have one. Even that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he really, at the end, what he did was just make sure I didn't die on a daily basis. That's a good, he, he it's a good assistant. He, he'd good install role. a tracker on my phone. He'd monitor my whereabouts. When I was, in, I was in the hood of Baltimore, he would literally watch my phone and just watch me go in circles around this four-block radius. You know, prior to that, I had him for business affairs. Now it was literally just to make sure I didn't die. And, and he didn't do anything for me. He wouldn't, you know, if I called and needed, you know, like he was not, he was loving me from a distance. But he's like, that's never going to work. They're going to find out. They'll see right through it. So then my next call is to my sponsor. And I said, Lex, I, I, I told my, my parole officer that my probation, uh, I told my parole officer my mother died and, and, and she wants to see an obituary and it didn't happen. He said, well, you've worked the third step, right? And you, you, you you turned your will and your life over to God. And I said, yeah. And now from one to two, two to three, three to four, four to five, five to six, six to seven, seven to eight, it made no difference or sense to me. I was just doing it because you suggested it and I believed that you believed, right? And, and I was just doing it. And, and I said, yeah, okay. And he goes, well, here you go. God is everything or he's nothing. And he hangs up. It's a Friday afternoon. <clears throat> I'm like 75 days sober. I now call my parole officer back because I've decided I'm going to be honest. Michelle doesn't fucking answer. 
that means I have to live with this on my conscience until Monday. Okay. But I've prepared to tell her the truth. I've accepted my fate. And my sponsor said, God forbid, worst case scenario, you're violated, you're parole, you go back to the penitentiary. All that means is that there's a man in there that needs to hear your story. And he can't get to you, but you have to get to him. Right. So I like started. I've completely- it's a hollow. It's a hollow good part of the story. <laughs> but, but I bought it, right? Because yeah, I was like. You're doing was, the deal. And I'm willing to do anything to feel a little better about my fate, if, sure. you, if you will. And, and okay. So uh, because they taught me in that treatment, if I changed my perception, I could change my world. And, and it's I, ultimate willingness. I believe that. I believed if I, my, and my perception was changing, uh, unbeknownst to me. I'll never forget it. I called. I left a voicemail. I said, can you call me back Monday? And, and I went back to, to my, my room and I fell asleep like a baby for an hour. Because next right thing was in effect. And, and I accepted that I was going to tell the truth. And I'm telling you, I fell asleep better than I've slept that whole time while I've been there up to that day. Monday morning comes. Michelle calls back. I said, Michelle, I have to tell you the truth. She said, uh. What's that, Brandon? I said, my mother did not die. And the only reason why I told you that is because I was in fear that you were going to violate me and send me back to prison. She said, she said, Brandon, that's the worst lie that anyone's ever told me. She said, I want you to promise me one thing. I said, what? She said, I want you to promise me that you'll never lie to me again. I said, I will promise you that as long as I remain sober, I'll never lie to you again. That's an assurance that you can live with. Legit. Uh-huh. And she said, okay. And she said, I'm sorry. I still have to send your paperwork back and you have to be violated but I, I respect you and thank you for telling the truth. The ending of that story should have looked like me going back to the penitentiary. By the grace of God or a power unbeknownst to me, I successfully completed that parole. I was not violated. And today I sit to you, a completely free man who's, who hasn't been on papers or report to anybody or piss into a cup or pay a monthly fee, for almost six years now. I get a lot out of this story. Like, I, I get a lot out of this story. First of all, what do you think happened there? Did she not? What did Michelle do there? She just didn't violate you. She told me she had to. She right. said she was still going to. Right. I hung that phone up believing that I was going to be packing up and going back. Did you ever talk to her again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've never asked her. <laughs> <laughs> There's no I mean, need to poke that sleeping bear. Absolutely. And, and I think that that's... One of the themes that I really wanted to talk to you about, really. I accepted my fate, man. Acceptance I, is I, the I whole be- thing. It is. It's everything. Acceptance and, uh, and perspective. But I, I mean, I still, I, I find acceptance, you know what I mean? After fucking freaking out for a while, after having crazy self-centered fear, having fear that it's not worth having, and then I'll find acceptance and you get this relief. And like, because you're somebody, like, I've read both of your books you've been to hell and back over and over again when i ask you like why do you have an assistant you're a homeless person in baltimore and you're like why wouldn't i have an assistant you know that's the fucking the whole thing is right there like yeah. why, why why do you have an assistant well why wouldn't i have an assistant it's like your story is fucking crazy because of that yeah you know and you got away with... And some- see, that proves how disconnected from reality I've been that it's like, what the fuck's wrong with you for not understanding why I have an assistant? It's like, where's your assistant? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I should have an assistant, for sure. Um, but my, my point is, like, fucking dream seller, right? The, the, I was actually listening to our last talk, and we talked about the title of dream seller, like, as the manipulator who can weave a dream for someone else to buy into. You were fucking maestro of that shit 
And when you get sober, you don't lose that ability, right? Your go-to is to tell the fucking worst lie you've ever told. Sure. And then you get honest with it. But how... How does that play a role in your day to day being the same, you know, the same person? We're all the same person that we were at our worst day at our best day. You know, it's <clears throat> me today. All, all I've done, right? This is what's happened because people are like, how did you get to where you're at? What did you do? What what courses did you take? What classes did you go to? What what university did you? <laughs> and it sounds so, so dumbed down when I say it so watered down. But the reality is I just I, I, I ate it. Right, like I, I, I simply found myself at a position in life where I was so broken that the pain became, for the first time in my life, so unbearable that I was willing to do whatever you suggested. And and, and now learning that that was the jumping off point that they talk about, where, where life's about to get really good. So when people call me, and and I had this 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 beautiful eighteen year old girl call me yesterday, and 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 her life is in a complete state of disarray. She's She's, uh, she's, she's relapsed, she's using, she's been raped, she was impregnated during the rape, the, now the child has to be aborted, and, 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 and for the first time in her life, she's ready to do whatever it takes to get better. And I said, please, sweetheart, don't take this as me being disheartening, cold, or callous, but I'm such a big fan of how fucking terrible your life is right now. Because... If you get to that point where the pain becomes so unbearable, your life is about to get really good. For people like us, it has to get really bad before it gets really good. Especially when you be, you're the boy who cried wolf. Yes. You've, you've gotten away with, with not getting it so many times. Yeah. And then you get so broken that you're like, wait a sec, no, this is the truth. And you, how is it, like today, right? Before you got here, I saw, it's my, it's my 30th high school reunion tomorrow. And a bunch of my friends are in town. Okay, like my old friends. And these are friends I've had since I was four. Okay. Okay, and I, and I was just hanging out with them. And like, they, I've been sober almost seven years, and I've made amends to both of them, and I, you know, lived the amends as best as I can. And I know that sometimes I'll say something, and they look at me like, you're a fucking lying piece of shit. Sure. And, 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 and I'm looking at them like, I know you knew me as a lying piece of shit, but I will not lie at this point. Like, how is that line for you? Like when, when kind of your old MO kicks up in you, how do you like compromise both parts of yourself? Well, wait, before I get into that answer, I have to come back to the one I left off on I'm with, sorry. The, with the, what with the, the poor young woman who's yeah, 18, who's, who's impregnated by yeah, rape. And, and I'm like, Oh, I'm glad your pain's yes. great, but let's move on. No, so what happened? Well, what happened is, this morning, um, she was in a van and is successfully safe in treatment as we speak, a 90-day program, because she was willing to follow my suggestions and we had her lined up. You know, she didn't get in her way, she didn't interject or, or, or predict how her outcome should look from her recovery, from her perspective. She was totally just like, got out of her way and allowed me to kind of do what I do. And today she's, so, so that's why I say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of, when things get bad because it makes getting better pretty easy makes change more change more likely yeah there's a reason that, for change totally totally right. i get it so so okay so that's what happened to that i'm not a heartless callous fucking asshole i am I, that's me i apologize <laughs> do you want to before we get to the next question do you want to hear the worst lie i ever told yeah sure all right it's a stupid story i was working on 23rd street right down the street at petland discounts and i was 19 or something 
And this is probably not the worst lie I ever told, but it was the dumbest fucking thing. I was, it was similar to your situation, but I had no consequences. I had two friends who wanted me to drive around Manhattan and smoke pot with them. I didn't want to clean up the chinchilla cage. So I was like, I had to find a lie to tell them so I could leave Petland discounts. And I said, my brother is dying of AIDS. Oh, Jesus. This is what I said to them to get out of Petland discounts. I said, my brother is dying of AIDS. No one in the family wants to talk to him because he's gay, and I'm the only person that he could talk to. So I have to go up to the hospital now. So fucking extra just That's to so ride around and smoke a blunt with the homies. Yeah, unbelievable. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's so stupid. The lengths that we'll go to to get away with what we need to. And it was like, it was like I obviously didn't care about the job because I told the stupidest. <laughs> this is the stupidest lie I could have. I don't know why. Like, that's disrespect. You know, I don't know why I felt the need to go that far. Um, now, I don't, I, we'll circle back to my transformation of Brandon Novak from ne'er-do-well to person who's, you know, saving the world one junkie at a time. You were on the show, um, I don't know, a while ago, and we got emails about you. So before we get into talking about the streets of Baltimore, I was going to read you a nice message uh, from the Dopey Nation. Sounds good. Yeah, why not? All right. Anything to stroke, stroke the old ego there for a It's always feel. nice, right? Um, here we go. I just listened to the podcast with Brandon, and it was amazing as always. I found that, that he puts his phone number out for people to call, and I thought I'd give it a try as I'm a massive fan. I remember him from my skateboarding days and on Jackass and CKY videos. To my amazement, he answered, and he spoke to me about recovery, and I felt so blessed. I want to thank you for being there for us, all us addicts, and for the effort you put into getting interesting guests who relate to us as well. After speaking to Brandon, he put me in touch with a treatment center in the U.S. I think this guy's English, uh, and guaranteed he would meet me if I decided to go. That wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Dopey, so thank you again. Also, I learned your Good So Bad song on guitar. It's so damn catchy. Stay strong and keep up the fantastic work, Dave. Much love, Dan. Like that, like you don't have to fucking answer the phone. Like imagine, I mean, it's like so sweet. Well, you know, it's it's funny because prior to doing the first show, I really didn't know much about this this kind of world you guys created with the Dobie podcast. And then after doing that first one, and I think I told you about it. I shared with you a few times, but it probably got lost along the way in translation. Uh, a lot of people reached out to me from hearing the show, and and I I, I was able to successfully get. When I say a lot of people, anything over three or four is a lot, as you know. Sure. A lot of people. We say one represents 10,000. Straight up. Why not? I was able to fuck it. Let's go a million. Why not? <laughs> Meanwhile, my brother has AIDS. I got to go. Yeah, I got to go. <laughs> my dad won't talk to him. Just so you know, I don't have a brother. That's why I told him. Just, just, just in case you were worried. I wasn't. Okay. Because okay. I just wanted you to hurry up so I could talk about me please, more. Please, please. I, I, I told my Petland discount story. I'm good. <laughs> that was actually really good. I, I, was, in, I was totally You're with into me. that. Yes. But um, a, a lot of people successfully found help as a, a, a direct result of your show. And that's a, that, that to me matters. Because how dare I not pay back what was so freely given to me? How dare I not pay that forward, right? Like I've consumed so many people's time with my alcoholism and addiction and they, 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 selflessly, they selflessly gave it to me. And how dare I, I finally get it and just be like, ah, cool, but I got like things to do. 
Dude, but your sense of service is, is way more acutely developed than mine. Because I've just learned, like, for me, what I just learned is that, you know, the old thing where it says, the grizzled prospector finds the limitless load, and the only way he can keep the limitless load is by giving all of it away. You know what I mean? I went completely sexual with that whole thing. Of course. I, and I've never heard that Limitless. Saying. Yes, you have. No, I haven't. You, how could you not have heard that? I don't. It's in the book. I'm not a big fucking, I don't, I don't know that thing from nice. back. I like this. Come on, This man. is exciting for me. No. But, so I, I, I've never heard that, and if I did, I would think it's a sexual act because the grizzled limitless the, the grizzled prospector's limitless load that's a lot that's a lot right there a bearded old yes. man kind of like what you'll look like when Hopefully. you get old only when if i'm lucky i'll have an unlimited load um but oh, i want to think of that again but the point is like i do service to feel better like i don't do it i do it as a tool like in that book sure and i i do it like as a tool more than i do it um to be a good person. And then the other thing is that dopey was never designed to help anybody. It wasn't. <laughs> well, that's how it works. It was not. It was designed to, for me to have fun, for Chris to have fun. And then for the show, just to have a good show. That's, that's how it works. Right? That's how successful things take place. Straight up. Everything that I'm doing now was not by my design or intention. It literally wasn't. I did not set out to work in the treatment field. I did not know that, it, that I, I was going to be an interventionist, a motivational speaker, uh, a, a man who owns several sober living homes. I, all I knew was I wanted the pain to stop. I was willing to do whatever my sponsor suggested. I followed his directions. And when I was in treatment, I my first job at 91 days, because they had a, my assistant, CJ. He, he had a job lined up for me when I completed treatment because they knew my pattern. People would recognize my pattern, and I wouldn't do that because who am I to get a regular job, right? Um, they had a job for me at Marianne's Diner in um, Levittown, Pennsylvania, where I was washing dishes for $6 an hour under the table next to a 15-year-old kid named Brian. And you want to talk about humility. I never really understood it until I understood it. And not only did that job teach me humility, it was kind of the foundation uh, the, of my life. And, and I attribute everything kind of I have to that job and things surrounding it. Um, but I, I, that's where I started. I didn't know where it was going to end. I had no idea or vision of the future. I was just willing to like follow some people that knew better than me. Totally. And I tripped and fell into this. I had no idea the treatment industry field was a thing. I had no idea of like, I knew sober houses because I had lived in many of them, but I, I didn't want to do any of that shit. Well, but it's like, you, your life is the way my sponsor talks about what I'm supposed to be doing. Like you, you, you stayed on the path and you wound up here. I dumb my way into it. Well, is what I like to tell people that. Maybe. I mean, we'll get into that more. I want to talk about this book a little bit because I love this book. It scares the shit out of me. But, and it start what? You know Caleb in this book? Yes. So Caleb and, and it was- we Alexia. Were, Alexia, which yes. is my, I can't give a real name, but she was the first girl I lost my virginity to and vice versa. And, and at the end, me, Caleb and Alexia were shooting dope, living in, in Slim's house, um, pissing and shitting in a, buck, all, uh, in a bucket, all sharing it and sharing the same pissy mattress. And we paid 10 bucks a, a night to sleep in this abandoned house, in this room of an abandoned house. But- Caleb, who's sober, long, he's, uh, he does NA, he's a clean guy, and he's clean longer than I am. I just celebrated seven years. He's probably like 10 or 11. His deal got so bad 
that he found himself, he went to Florida to get sober and fucked up and started getting high there and was like under a bridge shooting coke with these Haitians. And and he he was the guy, he still is in my mind, he was the guy that was never going to get clean. Like right. He'll definitely 100% die with a knee. Like, I'll never be as bad as Caleb. Caleb's clean 10 years now. But at the end, because he was in Miami and he's originally from Baltimore and he was trying to get back because he knew the Haitians were just going to chew him up and spit him out. He called his parents and said he had just went to the hospital and and tested positive for HIV and he didn't have long to live. Would they buy him a ticket back to Baltimore? That was his his lie. Yes, going Amazing. back to your age story or your your first lie. Literally, yeah, right, lying to live. Um, I like. But uh, fucking this book. One thing about this book is it starts off like a class. It's it's a movie. Like you got to write a script. It starts off like a classic high school movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like the principal's after you. And, he was a fucking cocksucker. And you, you're like, skate. I see you skating around the yeah. hallways, all fucked up, and you give all the drugs to your hot girlfriend. Totally. And uh, and then and then he he kicks you out of school right the day you're supposed to graduate. Yeah. And my um, my you know my picture's still in the yearbook. And then, but then you flash forward. To homelessness. Yes. You just want to give us like the the tableau of like American suburban fucking pre-junkie drug addict, right? Mm. And I heard you on Steve-O and, uh, and I heard all sorts of stories that I hadn't heard before. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to hear about them before we get to homeless in Baltimore. You're skating and, uh, and you're selling acid. Yeah. Like, and I, I, can, I was imagining you skating on acid was that a thing no nobody no, skates no, on acid no. you can't it's too much too much danger it's just too, too much work involved you know it's a lot of thought goes into that the other question a lot of variables the, before i even get further the other thing is when i hear you talk about weed i hear myself a little bit i hear you say herb yeah you want to roll around and smoke a blunt with the homies like i could tell you have some love for for bud in there yeah yeah so like give us the pre-junkie days first well it's so <clears throat> going from skateboarding my, my life looked like this and and not now it's different but to that point it was um a kid who received his first skateboard at the age of seven who skated every day, night, holiday, weekend. If it ended in a Y, I was skating on it. And um, and then it literally went from that to drug addiction. So there was no like time in between where I kind of got into this, got into that as a, as a, as a skateboarder, an extremist. I just, I, I was all in and wanted no part. And so it went from skating, skating, skating every day to them being introduced to a guy but by the name of B, who sold very large quantities of uh, herb, and um, and that's he, in that's in Dream Seller, yeah, that crazy story. And he was getting them shipped, and I was going out, I was transfer transporting money, strapping fifty thousand dollars to your yeah, bottom. because I'm this kid who always lived in the airport, anyways, from my skating career. So we just played off that, right? And um, and and then I <clears throat> I got introduced to the Grateful Dead, and and I started doing Grateful Dead tour solely for the reason of making fast money off of an abundance of drug sales. How did you get introduced to the dead in the first place? Same kind of, the herb guy B was a big deadhead, and then he had some underlings who I was dealing with, and it just all intertwined. Right, right, right. And uh, so I initially started doing the dead tours, um, 
and I would get these boxes from my sponsor, which is Pal Peralta, and I'd be like cruising the lot with all these brand new boards and wheels and shirts and trading them for, for nugs and, you know, any drug I wanted, basically. And then one of the guys that I jumped on Greyhound bus and did this tour with, or to the first show, which happened to be in Mecklenburg, um, had a bag of heroin. Because we attempted to sell a whole bunch of herb, and the guy had money for the majority of it, but was a few hundred bucks short, and he just gave us his bag of dope. And and, and we had it, and, and the night that we left for that tour, we were going to the Greyhound station, I was packing, and in my socks, one of my socks, out fell this bag. And I'm like, oh, well, it's this bag of dope. And at this point, skateboarding had become a thing of the past, right? I kind of just was tired of having responsibilities, duties to live up to. Um, Training, the work. Deadlines to meet, you know, video and parts. Competitive. To, yeah, it was just, a, it was a lot. It required a lot for me. <laughs> so uh, I, my father, he sold uh, a lot of herb. He ran with the Hells Angels. He was a biker. He, he never had a job a day in his life and just kind of, conditioned me for if and when I went to prison how to conduct myself and so he always had drugs and his were his his uh, things that he liked were uppers whether it was coke or meth and then valiums and, and weed so I would steal a little bit of all of that from him and I dibble and dabble and and so I was I was already kind of being um, raised in that lifestyle if you will you had a you had a jump on the lifestyle. Like yeah. you knew what you could. It do. wasn't crazy to me. You know what I mean? I think other you depending on the family you come from and the and the upbringing that you're raised in, you see something. It's like ah no, my mother was an amazing nuclear physicist. My father was like a a, a womanizing drug addict, drug dealing life of the party who everyone wanted to be around except his family. So I had you had both both dichotomies going on and I, I knew right from wrong. See, I had two Nebuchadnezzar Jewish teachers, but continue, please. <laughs> and here we are. Here we are. And so <clears throat> it wasn't hard for me to jump from, from one track to the next. So when you're dealing, you're dealing acid mm -hmm. and how does the, the heroin creep in? You do it once. Like, it, tell us, it's, 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 that it's, time that's man. a slow progression with the heroin addiction. It, we do it on that Greyhound bus from Baltimore to Charlotte. And, and I threw up immediately, as we all do, yet I couldn't wait to do it again. And, and I really got into it. And it wasn't an everyday thing. We kind of then went to the show, started, you know, partying with, I'm sure we had some LSD. We had some, I got pills, prescriptions of Xanax and Valiums, which I always loved. And, Me too. And uh, so then the heroin was a, a thing in the back of our mind, but it stayed there. I ultimately went to jail at that concert, so I stayed in Mecklenburg State Penitentiary for a little bit is where I ended up. Which what at did you get busted with there? At 17, there you're considered an adult. So it was my first adult charge I had ever caught. Um, Grateful Dead was supposed to play the song Unbroken Chain, which they rarely played at the time. And I believe they did play it. I was in the show, and I decided to light a cigarette up, and, and, and an, uh, an employee said, you can't smoke in here. And they threw me out for it. And I was like, fuck this. And I get out, and then I like jump the fence. I get back, and I'm, I'm at the door, and I'm banging for oh these my God. Like, hippie kids to let me in. And they're all spun out, dancing in circles, and they just look at me and don't open the door. And with that, police come and just bum rush me. And when they caught me, I had like five grand on me, and I had this pouch full of Kind Buds and like uh, a few hundred Xanax and Valiums. So they locked me up, took me to uh, Mecklenburg State Penitentiary is where I landed. 
and they, they confiscate the drugs and the money because it's in like this little sack all together. I get bailed out. The bails bondsman calls. He said, did they take money from you? I said, yeah. And I told him, it was like four or five grand. And, and he said, well, do you want it back? I said, I can't because it was with the drugs. So it was seized. It was confiscated. And he said, well, if I get your money back, will you give me 20% of the income? And I said, sure. Not thinking I'm going to get any of it back. A few weeks later, he said, come back down, meet me at the police station. I go back down. We go to the police station. They give me a check from the state of North Carolina for that money back, meaning the taxpayers pay me back the drug money that they confiscated from me. And then I, in turn, had to give him 20%. And you did? <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. And uh, I don't know why. Like, I, when, I, when I got into heroin and when I, like, when I was telling you the story of losing my place and turning up in, uh, in Renaissance and Del Rey, and all I wished is I could go back to Kind Bud and Dead Tour and yeah. that shit. And, like, you went from like that's a very like almost innocuous innocent like fantastical place to homeless it started there and then like throughout the tours and on the lots i'm being introduced to all these people and we meet this one particular individual who who hailed from san francisco and i'm not going to say his name and but he uh was the the lsd guy and and he then in turn started flying to baltimore where we lived and he was laying raw crystal grams so we're now having this guy held up in the hotel room who's laying raw crystal grams and we're walking out like from 30 to 50 books. A book is 10 sheets. 10 sheets is a thousand hits, a hundred right. hits per pay sheet. And, and we're getting them after, after he's breaking down the, the raw crystal and laying them, we're probably paying like 200 bucks for a book, like $200 for a thousand hits. So I'm selling them all day for four or $500 easily hand over fist and then it, the progression just like with alcoholism addiction uh, drug dealing anything eating porn it, it gets worse and worse throughout time and, and i just kind of got sucked in and, and he had a guy and now i'm meeting this guy who's getting me peyote you know it's just a lot of peyote yeah just kind of all Did these you do a bunch of peyote i started but i was so spun out i was also shooting ketamine at the time before like this is 18 I'm assuming this ketamine wasn't prescribed for depression no <laughs> this was stolen from the local veterinarian nice um, but you know this is before like this is like 10-15 years ago now you have like the ketamine infused uh, therapy and, yeah. and all that which is the norm but I, I was like mainly you were ahead, you're you're supposed ahead of to, your time you're, <laughs> I'm a forward thinker as totally. like, you know you're supposed to skin pop but I was like mainlining it it was a fucking nightmare well in that period like how did it be how did like Obviously, it's a progression, and, and I, I respect that answer, but like, where were you scoring dope in that period of, uh, of dealing and, and, and this making money successfully? So the guy B, who was giving us boxes of herb that he was having shipped in, and boxes were a minimum of 10 pounds or more, 10 to 50 to 100 was the, you know, starts at 10 and goes And up. you're a kid. Yeah, I'm 16. Okay. So um, he had a very fond taste. He acquired the taste of heroin. And, and he, I wasn't doing it full blown at the time. He'd pay me a hundred bucks. He just wanted a tent. He just wanted companionship. He was a very weird, intricate guy. And How old was he? He was cool, man. He liked the dead. And, and I liked him because he had an abundance of money and, and he liked to party. And he liked you. Yeah, and we were cool. <laughs> yeah. So he was probably 25 at the right, time. he's young too. Yeah. He just seemed old when you're fucking 16. Literally. And he seemed like he had his shit together. He was the you're man. Six, right. I remember we used to go to Ruth Chris and he'd wear this 
big Rolex, but like dressed like shit and drove this Lexus and so like a, a deadhead with a lot of money. And uh and he would pay me a hundred bucks to ride into the hood with him while he would cop dope. And I'm like, sure, why not? Fuck it. And then and then I was really infatuated with he would like this. He'd have he'd always put the bag of dope in the pen. Literally, this I would carry one of these around all the time. He's holding a, a big pen cap. And I would I would the little raw dope bags. Not like you get here in New York, the wax bags. These are like little bags with little zip, uh, zip like you know Ziploc. Like dime bags. Yeah, but really small and it's raw dope. And you fold it up and you keep it in there. But when you pull it out and I do it and get a little hit. I just thought that was so intriguing watching this very successful put together like drug smuggling guy who relied on this little pen cap. All that he always needed this. He was always hitting the pen cap. Yeah, and I always He wasn't shooting dope in his neck. I was very intrigued by that. Yet. And at the end, I remember at the end, I went to his apartment. He had this beautiful condo in downtown Baltimore. And I went there one day. And I just been released from central booking. I got caught copping some dope. And they let me out like five in the morning. And I walked over to his condo. I buzzed. He let me in. And I walked up. And he's smoking crack. It's 5 a.m. And he goes, I will sell you anything in this condo for $10. Anything that you want. And I remember I looked around. There wasn't one thing that I wanted for $10. Right. And then I had him shave my head because I was going to... I wanted a new start and a new beginning. So I felt like if he shaved my head, I got rid of the old look. I was going to like change. <laughs> and that did not happen. No. And then like, when does homeless in Baltimore start? Um, shortly thereafter that. So that whole timeline drags out for about six, seven years. The homeless in Baltimore? No, or the, no, or the, the, with the, the B? The, with B. Um, so you're like 22, 23. Yeah, the homelessness kicks in around, I'd say my mother finally had enough at like 23. You and had been staying there when you weren't traveling. Yeah. And she's like... Well, traveling, it stopped. I was still kind of living with my mother. Because Dead Tour was over. Dead Tour was Jerry was Well, dead. skating's done. So skating's done, so I'm not traveling. Um, except for shows. And, and that worked when it worked, and it's not consistent. It was just... And the group of guys I was running with were just very unmotivated fucking druggy deadhead guys so then it was just more about not even the band the music but the money and the drugs well so then that's when the homelessness kind of played its part because i was still able to sell drugs do heroin and and keep money because we were younger and it, it, it didn't really revolve around as long as the deal happened yeah you weren't going to use all of it yeah you know um one other timeline question i have is like you met Bam Margera when you were 11 or something? Yeah. And uh, so, like, you're on Dead Tour. You're fucking becoming a heroin addict. You're becoming homeless. What is he doing in that time? His life is completely going in a different direction. <laughs> were you aware of it? No. I, I mean, I really turned a blind eye to it. It was kind of like uh, the love of your life that you allowed to get away. Right, so ignorance is bliss. I didn't want to know what she was right, doing, right, who she right, was fucking, right, where she was going, right. what she lived in. Like I wanted to know, so I I avoided skateboarding and and anything that came along with it in the same manner, because it was like the it was love too, of my it was life. Too, it was it was too much of a shameful reminder. I, I remember being in like multiple treatment centers. One in particular, and my one of the best therapists I ever had, Manny. He kept saying. You should have like your people bring your skateboard up or or get them to send skate magazines, and I would like avoid it like the plague. There are so many uh, homeless 
stories I want to talk about, but I don't understand, like, how does he find you? How does Bam find you when he does? Well, that's uh, a homelessness story plays into that as well. <laughs> um, there's a skate shop in Baltimore at the time, and it's called Select, and it's in Fells Point, and, um, and I'm homeless, and I'm a full-blown heroin addict, like, literally living on that animalistic level, living to use, using to live. And occasionally, I'll stop when times are tough. Because remember, I'm still avoiding skateboarding and, and the notion that that, that, that that even played a part in my life um, any way I can. But when times were tough, I'd resort back to two things. When my back was against the wall and I ran out of all my hustles or I was just getting a lot of nose, I'd revert to my mother and to the skate shop. Two things that were the closest to my heart that hurt me the that most. That raised you in some sort yeah, of Yeah. And... And this day, all the doors were being slammed in my face. I had stole these items and my fence. The guy who bought my stolen items was out of town and, and I couldn't even get rid of him. And it's a terrible day in an alcoholics world. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, fuck it, I'll just go to the skate shop. And I go into the skate shop and uh, I, I try to hit them up for some money. And they said, we're not gonna give you any money, Novak, but Bam was here yesterday. And he was on tour. And I think he was on tour with the Toy Machine team at the time. And, and they did a demo. Bam asked if they had ever seen me. And, and they said, we see him occasionally when he stops in and asks for cash, but not often. So again, things were aligning. Um, because I, I, that was the last thing that I wanted to do. But that day I had to do it. And I go in there and they said, he was in here and he left his phone number for you and said, if you want to get clean, to call him and he'll help you. I pocket the number and, and I don't call that day, but like a week later I happened to call and, and, and Bam's smart enough to not give me his direct line at the time. Um, but he gives me the, the number to the skate shop in Westchester called Fairman's. And I call, and this is when I'm homeless, I'm on the streets and I gotta put 50 cents into a payphone. So yeah. that 50 cents is a lot. Yeah. And you know, you'd, you'd call and you'd have your hand on the, th at the thing. So it doesn't register. Yeah, so if the machine picks up, you can click get it your and get your money. So, yeah. so I'm like on it. And uh, that's so funny, I forgot that feeling. Yeah, like it's your legit lifeline. Um, so Dave Fairman, the owner of Fairman's, answered. And I said, Dave, it's Novak. How are you? Great to hear from you. How you doing? And I said, hey, Bam, I'm looking for Bam. And he goes, well, it's, he literally was just here a second ago. He stopped in, and he's eating um, sushi at Kuma right next to this. You want me to go get him? And I'm like, fuck yeah. So he, I don't lose the 50 cents. He goes over. He gets Bam. And, and Bam's like, how are you? And I'm like, I'm good. And he's like, fuck you. No, you're not. He's like, you're homeless. They told me. They said they stopped in there when you needed money. So I'm assuming you needed money. You stopped in. They gave you my number. And what do you want to do? And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, do you, do you want to get clean and start skating again? And I really wanted that. I did. In theory, I wanted that. And I'm like, yeah, totally. And he said, okay. I'm going to buy you a train ticket. Get to the next train station when we, we figure out. And, and that night, I'm sitting at his house in Westchester. I had no clothes. I and had, you weren't, you didn't have a habit at that point. Oh, no, I had a major habit. I had a major habit. I'm, I'm like a homeless heroin addict at this point. I have nothing. So what do you do when you get there? Does, you just detox in his house? Yeah. So now, okay, going with this timeline, viewers, listeners, listeners 
if you want to, I keep looking at this goddamn pill bottle, and now it reminds me, uh, it's a methadone. It's like you buy the it's, methadone it's the off size, the street. It's, the size it's of a one. fucking methadone. My bottle. dad's actually on methadone. I know he doesn't look like it, but he is. He's totally I keep, I'm staring up. at that while I'm talking to you the whole time. No, but so I get to Bams that night, and I'm I'm legit a homeless heroin addict right off the streets. And uh, and he said, "Where's your clothes?" I said, "I don't have any." He goes, "Okay." We're going to go to Fairman's. And he takes me to Fairman's and I pick out anything I want. And and uh, I think I had a little bit of dope on me, but I prepared myself to just detox. And now, for the viewers, the listeners, if... Uh, the Methodonians you, in the audience. If you want to cut back, if you want to come to for a second and, and tune in, look at the making of the CKY videos. And you see me laying on the couch in one of these things and I'm shaking. He was literally filming my detoxes and filming me all around the house, which brings me to the present date. I'm working on this documentary that's in production right now, and we had no idea that this thing has been in the process, the process of being filmed for 23 years. What, the Novak doc? Yeah, it's, it's happening. It's nice. in production as we speak. And it's, it, we have footage from literally the CKY days and even before from family shit. But like, so me detoxing at the house and getting in these arguments and Dunn's finding needles in my pockets and Bam was placing all these cameras strategically throughout the house because, you know, I was very entertaining. And that's how my book Dream Seller came about. You know, I, we'd, we'd be at dinner after we were finished filming like Viva La Bam, the whole cast and crew at a bar, a table of 30 or 40 and he'd be like, yo, tell this story, tell that. He was very entertained and intrigued by my, my in a way you were like the the the, the court jester for him he was the king Novak, come out regale us with a with a homeless junkie tale he would say that i was his walking tv right legit and um that's literally a, a phrase of his and uh and i would tell these stories in a bar and a table of fucking 40 and you'd hear a pin drop so after about five or ten days of this in a row he said you're gonna write a book and i had no idea again Nothing I wanted to do or intended on ever doing, but that worked out really well. And you knew you had the goods, though. Not necessarily the writing ability, but the stories. Stories are fucking, in abundance. Yeah, and like, and and the the writing was epic too. Now I'm not. I'm I'm usually a decent interviewer, but I needed to know that timeline because yeah. it it always bugged me out. Which timelines? To, you have to. You're talking to a guy whose life has literally been a blur for you know for for doing fact checks for for the streets of Baltimore. The way that I remember timelines is not like, hey, where were you May of 2006? I have no fucking idea. But this is what I know. This is how my brain works. A question came up about 99. Where were you the winter of 99? I knew exactly where I was at the winter of 99, and this is why. It was 1999. Y2K was going to hit. Uh -huh. 2000. Everything was going to shut down. And, and I'm homeless in East Baltimore with Caleb and Alexa. And, and our plan is at 12.01, we're going to loot and rob the stores because everything's going to shut, shut down. down. Remember, the power was supposed yes. to go out. And, and we, were, we got bats. We got um, pillowcases. We're going to like, it's going to be a good day in the dope shooting world. And at 12.01, nothing changes. So literally, January 1st, 2000, I enter into a rehab. That's how I. That's how my brain works. So for you're like the, because I couldn't loot and profit from this thing. Yes. I just need to get well because it's yeah, too much. That's that's how my brain's wired. So then for the streets of Baltimore, you know, because there's people that have jobs that like read books and their their job is to find a discrepancy, a discrepancy in an autobiography, um, fact check or a memoir exactly. <laughs> uh, and we went and hired a private investigator to pull up 
every arrest record. Uh, yeah, that's cool shot. in the book because they're all in the book. Every arrest. Yeah, is and in the, book. The, the, the pub, the the, the investigator is like, I've never in my twenty four years of of being on the job had anyone come to me and ask to dig up every piece of dirt on themselves usually they want it covered and ha- it buried and so that's how my so timelines are not my forte well i mean there's so many stories in the book but for some reason one story that i was really interested in is you you, you find this girlfriend I don't remember what you named her in the book. I think Siobhan or Sharon or on the Greyhound. No, no, no. The chick, the chick, the the one that you guys like. Alexa. No, not Alexa. The other one where you rob her boyfriend. Yes. What's I don't remember yeah, her name. Yeah. And and so you wind up like doing her bad, and you're a junkie. Like, what are you gonna do? You rob her boyfriend, which I really enjoyed. He's my dear friend now. I can say his name without worrying of repercussion. His name is Damien. You he's call like, him Dante in the book. Yes, his name is Damien. He's an amazing guy. But you ahead. you rob him for I think eight grand. Eight grand. And you turn up at some crackhead junkie's house mm-hmm. with a little kid, and you proceed to shoot coke and dope with these two, like you know. People, Perkins, Perkins Projects in Baltimore City, if there's any Baltimoreans listening. So, I, I, first of all, was that the most epic run you ever had? It was, it was up there. It was great. I had the dope and coke boys just coming to the house every morning. I never had to leave that house. It only lasted for three weeks, but <laughs> it, I was like, I was the man. And it, it's so weird, though. But imagine the juxtaposition of being the man, literally... 24-7, I don't even have to do anything. Everyone is at my beck and call for I'm surrounded by like bottom feeders. So it's not like I'm on this yacht. But going from that to then waking up one morning and realizing I have just spent my last $10. Why have, did you choose them? Because it was convenient to where the robbery took place, geographically speaking. You could hide out. Yeah. You could hide out. You knew they'd and, get high and with And nobody you. was coming in. Right. Like it wasn't an area where let's just say it, where a lot of white people frequented and really none at all. And that's who I stole the money from. So like they weren't going to find they weren't coming there. Did you ever have a run like that? Like that level? No, that was next level for, for a multitude of reasons. Break it down. You know, so it all starts with the heartbreak, right? The woman breaks my heart. She has to leave me for the safety of herself, rightfully so, looking back now. But at the time, I couldn't understand how she was going to leave me. Like, how could you do that to me? And I loved her. I really did love her. So first, my heart's broken. And then her best friend, Damien, Dante in the book, who was living at the house, then becomes her boyfriend. Like, insult to injury, gas to a fire, me as an addict at that moment. Now I'm a homeless heroin addict who's living like in that area, just on the streets, still occasionally popping my head into this restaurant right across the street from her house where I'd like bus boy and they'd give me, but I'd see the car, I'd see them coming and going and they're going, they're not addicts or alcoholics. They're going on as, they're life, living their life. as they should. And, and it's just, it's agonizing to me, holding hands, happy. And you're like, that should have been me. Uh, and now here I am. Yeah. And, and now I'm like, my disease is progressively getting worse. I'm, Spending a lot of time in Perkins Projects right next to Little Italy where everything kind of took place. My mother lives. And, uh, and, and now I know that I've lived there and, and I'm, I know how to get in there without breaking any doors or windows. So now I'm breaking in. And I'm all, like, not only am I stealing monetary things in order to get money to buy dope, but I'm also kind of like 
snooping around to see how they're living, which is just more insult to injury. It's like before there's Instagram to look at, you're just going to break into their house to see what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just seeing like, I remember, man, like fucking condom wrappers right. and just like, I'm like, horrible. oh God. And I'm like freshly heartbroken. So I'm stealing money. And on this particular day, I'm not finding any money. But what I see is, you know, the water jugs when you can order jugs of water in the corner is a, a water jug full to of the change. brim of all quarters. Right. Not change quarters. So I'm like, ha, got it. And then on my way out, uh, like a crown royal, not like a box, you know, those plastic little, but not that, but of like a liquor box, but it's a round cylinder. I, I take the white little circle top out. You're hoping I, it's a bottle? I didn't know what it was. I just grabbed, my intuition said I should take a look. <laughs> Your junkie sense was tingling. Yeah. And boy, was it ever so fucking right. I open it up and I just see uh, wraps of money stacked. And I have no idea. And I, I turn it upside down and it's $8,000 stacks and lined with a $2 bill on the outside. Almost like a omen of sorts he did. And, uh, so I take the eight grand, I put it under the soles of my shoes, and I look like, you know, you see You're walking tall. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like how they do it now with the shoes they have made. So, and then I take a pillowcase, take the pillow out, and I pour all those quarters into a pillowcase. So I'm like Santa Claus coming down the Crazy hobo style with the fucking pillow <laughs> I got, sack. I got a change. pillow sack, legit, of a full water jug. You guys can, you know what a water jug, how heavy it is with the water in it. I have full quarters. I got that. I'm going, and this is in broad daylight, like two in the afternoon. And, and I'm going down the back fire escape with this money. And I'm walking to Safeway. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to put all the quarters in the coin star to get the cash. I'm like five blocks from the Safeway. I'm at this major four-lane intersection. And I'm literally, the light finally turns red. I'm crossing it right in the middle of the four-lane intersection. The fucking pillowcase breaks open. Too quarters heavy. everywhere. Quarters, like, I'm not even kidding you. And now you have to keep in mind that, like, People know, like I know that he's gonna know it's missing. He's gonna talk to everyone in the neighborhood. People know who I am in the neighborhood. Like, oh yeah, I saw Novak I saw with Novak. this gigantic pillowcase full of quarters. No fucking bullshit. He heard that story, and right. then he heard that uh, a very good friend of mine, Matt, who worked at Safeway, said Novak was in here and he was putting all these quarters. So it it went all kind of started to come to light. I get to the store. I, I finally get the quarters in get the quarters i have the eight grand and then the closest place in proximity to where this all took place is perkins projects where i can get lost and no one's gonna come there i don't have to leave the, it just made sense and i'm there i'm shooting the dope and i remember i would get so high that one day i came to and when i came to it was a table just like this kitchen very similar to this i'm not surprised <laughs> and and the money is all out on the table and the, they're in the room. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I was amazed that it was still there. Like, they definitely hit it, but not for what they could have. So right there, I'm like, ah, I learned my lesson. I, I take all the So every night before I would go to bed, I would run two blocks up. And there was like this, there's this um, Bank of America. And, and around it is like a little guardrail. And I would put the money in an old trash bag and I would put it in the guardrail. So every night there was just like thousands of dollars. And then in the morning I would go back and get and it. And that was your weird stash spot. Yeah. 
That's crazy in itself. Because like I, I can hear another brand of Novak that you found a ba- another brand of Novak story. You found a bag of money next to the Bank of America, <laughs> and thank God that didn't fucking happen. And you made these people's lives for three weeks. Three weeks, and then the day that I ran out, I legit. I, I put my hand in my pocket. I had no money. And I looked at her. I said, hey, can you spare? And she said, nope. You got to go. And you, you never saw them again. Never. I mean, they legit put me. I went from being the king of the castle to sweetheart, you got to go. And that is the story of your life. And though. then I go. So then now I'm all remorseful. I'm fucking heartbroken again. Thinking of the things that could have been after the party's worn off. I'm having that moment of clarity to see how really shit my life is. The whole reason why I get high, but I have no money to escape my reality blown it so i go to the 7-eleven the very same 7-eleven since you've read both books you where know, alexia is standing yes but remember in the dream seller when i call scott yes and he picks me up to take She's me to the standing turkey. with you though right I, that's the payphone in the area that i always use i walk back to that very same wow. payphone where alexia was standing the first that very i swear to god I, and they tore it down if they didn't i would have bought it and put it in my house because a few really major pivotal points in my life took place at that payphone and I go back to that payphone and and I'm the heartbroken fucking lover who just misses his girlfriend all sentimental now so I call Nicole uh whatever she doesn't know and I call her and uh and 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 Dante's with her and they know the number because I used to call her from that payphone so while I'm talking to her I hang up and she tells me, like, fuck you, I don't want anything to do with you. Why'd you steal the money? I'm, I didn't steal the money, but they had heard I stole the money because I was in the Safeway quarters. Quarters. Whole thing. Yeah. It's all coming together. And I walk across the street, and who do I see fucking speeding up the road? Her and Dante pulls over. He beats the fuck out of me. <laughs> yeah. And then it goes to my other favorite part of the book is your fucking. Colorado exploits. Well, that's why I went to Colorado. I know. Because he then, in turn, put a hit out on me for $10,000. He paid to my $10,000 to have me murdered. And then Alexia, Alexia flies you to Caleb. Yeah. To get well. Yeah. And you don't get well. Nope. No. You rob a gas station. Uh, One of my favorite stories. And then I end up in the world's dumbest criminals, which I'm now doing time in, in Gunnison County, uh, correctional facility. Oh, tell the fucking Xanax bottle story. So, so well, I'm in, so I'm in Colorado, right? I'm running from this hit that Dante's literally paid to have me killed on. Um, and I, no, I don't get flown out there. My good buddy. Oh, who, the Greyhound bus. Yeah, my yeah, my yeah, good yeah. buddy who we, I don't even know if we wrote about him in the book. His name is Mike Sacalaris. He's a dear friend of mine. He actually offered to pay for me to go to treatment at, at the end of my last run. And uh, dear friend, he, he recognized how serious my situation had become. And I think I called him. He was the guy I would like call. He was the very first guy I did heroin with on the dead tours going back. And he cleaned up since then. And uh, I was like, dude, I'm fucked. Like I'm, people are, are gonna hurt me bad. And he's like, I'll buy you a, a Greyhound ticket, a one-way ticket to Colorado. We had a friend that lived in Crested Butte in Gunnison, in Colorado. And I'm like, okay. So he picks me up from across the street from the 7-Eleven where Damien just beat me up. Dante, and uh, and he takes me right to the Greyhound station, and he buys me the ticket. And give me the money, he buys me the ticket, and he gives me no money. Cause he's smart. Yeah, and so now I have to do a seven day Greyhound bus ride from you geographical fucking nerds out there. Look it up from Baltimore City, Maryland, to Cresta Butte, Colorado. It's literally fucking from east to west. How I mean, you can't seventeen hundred miles, two thousand miles, six, seven days. 
I have zero dollars in my pocket. I literally have to change like 50 buses. It just changes. And, I have and to you're s- sick. I'm still as a research monkey. I'm dope sick as all fucking get out. I have no money. And, uh, and I have to steal from every stop if I'm thirsty or hungry. You're like stealing McDonald's off the table. Literally. Now, was that the, was that the withdrawal off the $8,000 run? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that happened really fast. <laughs> you're yeah. fucking high as shit. And you're then, beat. And then you're on the bus. Literally. Yeah, because time was of the essence. Like, people were, were paid to find me. So I'm on that bus and I'm on the bus out. And I remember somehow I, I end up, I'm sitting in the very back, like next to the, the fucking toilet, you know, like right next to it out of choice, not even forced. But I, I hook up, I meet this like uh, very, very healthy, uh, heavier set black woman so now her and i are like falling in love and making out on this bus so you left the romance out in the book i did it just it was just there's so many stories right like it's hard for it to to run consecutively without becoming confusing right but i like this i didn't know there was romance on the greyhound yeah there's uh, anyone that mostly the people that you find on greyhound buses that are going on like really far trips are escaping something is what I've come to find. And this woman was in a situation in her life, I don't even really remember it, but she was escaping something for sure. She was like, she was beaten up. You described her as being beaten up. Yeah, and uh, and I just remember, and she was, I'm a fucking skinny little heroin addict, you know, you can't even see me behind a toothpick kind of guy. And this- She's robust. Uh, yes. Uh, Large bigger, and in charge. Bigger black chick, and we're just, going at it in the very back of the Greyhound bus next to the toilet. Ah, <laughs> uh, um, short story long. I finally end up in Colorado and we have a friend that lives there at the time. He's now overdosed. He, uh, and died from heroin. I can say his name. His name is Mike Pena. And, uh, he, he's living in Colorado at the time and he's, He's escaped out there too from Baltimore for heroin and, and he's now taken to selling large amounts of, of kind bud and he's doing well for himself and I'm still detoxing off of the, all the run and, and out there there's no dope or pills at the time unless you're in Denver and I'm like four or five hours up in the mountains and, and I, all there is is coke and I just need to escape so of course I'm doing coke but that's not what I want. I get a job at this restaurant called The Last Steep at the bottom of the mountain. I'm kind of like doing my deal and, and finally somebody comes in like, oh, I just got this script of Valiums filled and I, my jaw hits the ground. I'm like, I will fucking suck your dick for this. Like I, you want any, anything you want, I'll give it to you. Let me, and they sell me the script and I eat like 10 or 15 immediately. And, uh, and in the town, it's just a really small little town. And then you go up the mountain to the slopes and the ski town. And, and you, at the bottom of the town is this little gas station. It's got a hitching post where people hitch. And uh, and I'm there after work, and I've eaten so many Valium. I'm probably 20 in. And, and I'm, I remember it's snowing. It's cold, and I'm hitching. And I look at this gas station. It's the only gas station in town. And the gas station is a, a one-level gas station with windows. But above it is a balcony because they have apartments above it. And I remember thinking, I'm cold. The gas station's there. And I don't really remember this part. But I, I grab a brick and I walk over to the gas station. I throw a brick through the gas station window. And I do remember the alarm sounding. And I remember going into the store and I steal cigarettes, uh, money, and what I don't remember then, but I know now because of the arrest the records, yeah. Mentos. Okay. And I don't, I don't even need candy, but Mentos, cigarettes, and alcohol, 
uh, uh, cigarettes, cash, and, and uh, Mentos. And, and, uh, and then I leave, and now I remember this. I'm, I'm back at the Hitchin Post, I'm hitchhiking, and the alarm's sounding, and the people that live above are out on the balcony looking down. I remember it like it was yesterday. But then I remember thinking, I'm freezing, the damage is done, I might as well just go in and get more shit. And that's where I black out and I fall asleep in the gas station. Cut to a few hours later, I'm, 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 I'm being awoken by a police officer, several police officers, and they said, uh, son, did you break into this gas station last night? And I said, what are you talking about? I've been in my bed all night. I'm thinking that I'm home in my bed. They said, you idiot, you're covered in gas, <laughs> glass on the floor of this gas station. So I now I'm in jail, I'm in Gunnison County Correctional Facility. I'm still fucking heavily intoxicated from the handful of volumes that I eat, meaning they can't process me. I can't give my name, my address. I'm like incapacitated. So they put me in a padded room. And I start to come to, and obviously I have to use the bathroom, so I bang on the door to ask to be let out for the bathroom. It's literally just a padded room, no toilet, no sink, nothing. And when they take me out, as a good addict does, I'm very aware of my surroundings, and I'm in this little mom and pop kind of jail. And what I notice is they have, it's medication time for the inmates, and they have all the bottles on the table. And they don't cuff me when they walk me to the bathroom, and I spot the good bottle with the stickers and the labels. So I'm in the bathroom, I'm thinking about how I'm gonna steal this bottle. I come back out, being led back to my padded room, and I create a diversion near, swipe the bottle of pills, Put them in my in, in like my waist race waist, race uh my my waistband of my pants and I get back in the padded cell, I take some pills and I shove them up my ass, and and they're I some time passes and they're looking for the pill bottle and they can't find it and they they it's got to be him he's the one they come back in my my cell and they pat me down they don't find it it's it's literally in my asshole I shoved it up my ass, for a lot of years because of traveling so much my asshole doubled as a suitcase. Um, it seems cavernous. <laughs> it only made sense. That's what it was created for in my mind at the time. Finally, they come back in. They say, drop, squat, cough. I do all three things. The pill bottle comes shooting out of my ass. So now I went in there with originally, I think that was going to get 60 days for it. I got six months for it. But while I'm in there doing my time, about four months into my time, I'm like right next to, it's close to Mexico and a lot of uh, illegal immigrants and aliens in there, and, and, and they start calling me, all these people that I don't know are calling me, yo, you dumb motherfucker, you stupid mother. I'm like, why are they calling me stupid? Finally, I find out they got the, the footage of me falling asleep in the gas station, and it showed up on the TV show, The World's Dumbest Criminals. Wow. Which is why everyone kept calling me stupid and dumb. Well, waking up in the gas station is a, is a classic story. And then I come to, and then I get out, so I get out. Mike Pena is still living up on the mountain, um, selling tons of weed. I, I don't tell him I'm released. I get a, a bus. I go back to his house. I steal like $4,000 from him. Then hitchhike from Crested Butte back to Denver, right? Ripped him off, went back to Denver, went to Colfax, bought a whole bunch of dope, uh, some coke and uh, some needles, do the deal, get on the plane, fly back to Baltimore, fall asleep at BWI airport. I'm awoken by a police officer. He said, son, what's your name? And I, I give him. You misspell it. Yeah, I misspell it by yeah. like three letters. Yeah. And they said, you have like uh, five warrants, two of them felonies. Dante went to the police and said, I broke into his house and stole the money. Um, and now I went back. I ran from him and I didn't even make it out of the airport coming back to Baltimore and I'm arrested for him. 
Well, and also, didn't they give you the bottle of Xanax when you leave? Uh-huh, yeah. Like, didn't they give it to you, like, the, the Colorado? Well, while I was in the jail there, I put my name on the, the sick call list, and I went and saw the doctor and conned my way into getting prescribed Xanax. And because from- of that, you wound up keeping the ones you stole? Yes. Incredible. And then and then you got off the Dante thing. because I, they I couldn't- beat that. Yeah. It was hearsay. Yes. But uh, such a... But cr- now, so here, okay... Power of the universe, synchronicity. I swore that I was never going to pay Dante back. Fuck him. He stole my girl. Right. Fucking beat me up. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Woe is me. I'm the victim. But as I got sober, so what people don't know, and I guess I might as well tell the story, I get arrested at BWI Airport. I'm now being hold for uh, breaking, entering, breaking and entering, theft over felonies you know theft over 500 or a thousand whatever it is and uh, there's felonies and and dante went and said i broke into their house and stole the money i'm now being held in, in central booking for that i'm getting ready to fight this case the day comes i go to court they're trying to give me a plea deal and i'm like no i'm not taking a plea deal there's no evidence saying i stole the money they're saying i stole it of course they'll say i stole it because i'm a heroin addict everyone knows i'm a heroin addict and I used to live there, so my fingerprints are in the house. You can't prove that I stole it. I wouldn't take the deal. We go in front of the judge. The judge agrees with basically what I just told you and says, you guys deal with this out of court, case dismissed. So I beat the case. Um, swore I would never pay Dante back. Dante beat me up several times because he lives in little. he lived in Little Italy where my mother lives in Baltimore. I continue to stay sober. I, I work the steps. I have a spiritual experience, which simply means I've had a psychic change. I no longer think today how I thought then, and I want my mother to be safe. I don't want anyone to be in harm's way. And I, I called Dante, and now I'd worked the third step, right? And I called Dante, and I said, Dante, this is a ninth step. I'm making my amends. And I said, I, I'd like to, to meet with you. I'm in a 12-step program, and I, I'd like to talk to you about something. And I said, can I meet you? And he said, yeah. And I said, how about at the Starbucks? He said, how about at this park and this park is a very fucking deserted desolate so park. so i can kill you straight <laughs> up this guy's paid to have right, me killed there's right. a lot of history right. here i call my sponsor i'm terrified i'm like he wants to meet me in a fucking deserted park again my sponsor said you've worked the third step god is everything or he's nothing here you go and he hangs up he's got a theme of hanging up yeah. on me so i'm like fuck it i did i go to the park and and dante rolls up and i have a thousand dollars on me out of the eight that i'm intending to pay him back and i said dante i I'm here to right my wrongs. I'm sorry for this, that, and that, and I want to pay you back. And, and he said, you don't need to pay me back because what you don't know is, is I became an alcoholic and I've lost several businesses several businesses, and I've destroyed my life multiple times, and, and, and I understand. And I said, that's great that you understand, but I have to pay you this money. It's and he not, understood that. Yeah, but here was the blessing in this story. He said, what you don't know is that I just got out of rehab yesterday. I was going to drink today. And when you called and I answered, I took it as a sign of something so much more. And I didn't drink. And now fast forward, Dante has like five or six years sober. It's amazing. And we're best of friends. It's amazing. You talked to him? Yeah. He's in Baltimore still? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Great man. So from there... Who will be in my documentary telling that story. You didn't stay sober all the way through from then, though. Don't you go back to Westchester? When I... What what part? What I mean is... You, you said then. I mean, After Dante? My, yeah. Or meeting if, Dante in the yeah, park? Yeah. No, meeting Dante in the park, I stay sober. Okay. That's it, at the end. Like my timelines again, forgive me. 
I, I have a. I, I told several different stories there, though. No, no, no. So. It, but it doesn't even matter. It's like the things that I'm most interested in are like you. Your adventures are like obviously epic and legendary, which is why you wrote two books and were Bam Margera's walking TV and fucking have a documentary coming out. How did it go? In the fame, in the vortex of fame, coming out of this craziness. You know what I mean? Like, you're this junkie, you're a homeless person, obviously ex-professional skater, have a beautiful relationship with your mom. You turn up in Westchester to be, you know, to get a break, basically. You're like, fuck, Bam made it. I want to break a little piece off this thing and try to enjoy try to enjoy my life. It's like a shortcut to having a, a, a life. Um did you did you have shame or bad feelings around Bam when you got there? Totally. Because remember I said in theory I wanted to stop? Like I really did. I wanted a sense of normality. And I in, wanted and, security. And in Dream Seller, you were, you were pretty acute about resenting aspects of him. I guess the real, another question, I'm, I'm not doing a good job here, so forgive me. <laughs> well, usually I'm good. I'm, I'm all over the place because there's so much information. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot of information, but... Bam had always been straight. Yeah. And then he turns up with blow. Mm -hmm. And then he doesn't understand addiction. So he's like, why don't you just get high with me? And you hadn't ever gotten high with him before then. Yeah. Well, so you have, again, in theory, I really wanted to change the way I was living. Right. And I went there for some security, some stability, some, some just a reprieve. And I wanted to be like, I wanted to understand what like humanity felt like again. I was so fucking far removed and from it. And Bam was living the life that you were supposed to live. Yeah, that but was that, the life you had. But that even wasn't my concern. But what what hurt about that whole situation is that in theory, I really wanted to make good on what he was offering me and I wanted to live up to the words that I said I would. But in reality, I knew that my disease was so much more that it just wasn't finished me with me yet. So like, although I'm being offered the keys to the kingdom and this beautiful life externally, internally, I'm never so fucking distraught and heartbroken because I know that it's only going to last for a short period of time. Like, I know that it... The, you can't it, possibly live it. No. I, I can't stay clean. The check is in the mail for fucking it, it up. It's just, as I'm just waiting for there. it to show. It, right. it, it's, it's not a matter of if it comes, it's just when. And I know it. Although... I didn't know that at the time, but looking back now, like the rug was always going to be pulled out from under me. And, and I knew I just couldn't shake my disease. I couldn't because I wanted to like live this really amazing life and, and have companionship and friendship and, and meaningful relationships in my life. But heroin and pills were just so much more important that it was, I wasn't going to stop. It, it made it a little more difficult for me. Like, I wouldn't go to Philly to cop dope. I made sure I stayed in Baltimore with it. So when I was living with him in Westchester, I couldn't, because I knew I'd burnt every bridge in, in Baltimore. And if I learned how to get heroin easily while I was in Westchester, I'd burn those bridges too. So I intentionally made it difficult for me to continue with my addiction, meaning I didn't have a license, I didn't have a car, I'd have to find a way to get back to Baltimore, come up with some money, get high, and then sneak back all without Bam ever realizing I left, which is impossible, really. And that was the period you wrote Dream Seller also. Yeah, yes. And and I was also ending up on in the CKY videos. I now started ending up in the Viva La Bams and then to the Jackass. All throughout that time, this fucking insane dichotomy was happening within my personal life that people aren't really privy to unless you read the books or 
know me or hear this podcast. What but, was what was the height of the fame with uh, Viva La Bam and Jackass? Like, what was the apex of the fame? Well, for me, I a I became self sufficient. I was getting paid really well on a weekly basis, and then I became like a a household name for a period of time. Which equated to me going out and 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 fucking never ending free bar tabs and abundance of women, Drugs. women fucking cocaine off of many broads asses and and you can imagine you know like that yes I've never snorted cocaine off anyone's ass I've, I've snorted never done. dude I've snorted more cocaine off of Bam's dick than I probably have off of girls asses just Why, for shock value who are you shocking anyone who's watching and and I heard, hey, you know I have his t- I have his come tattooed on my arm here I, I heard that story yeah and like in that period of time where you're you're a co-star you're mm-hmm. a co-conspirator you're a co-fucking crazy person and now bam's disease is progressively getting worse and as the addict that i am unfortunately i take advantage of that right like almost unbeknownst to me like I didn't really see what was happening, but I was all about like the justification of a fucking fat bag of blow on a Monday morning <laughs> or whatever. But how did how did it end with them? Like how did you wind up leaving, and what happened? Like, what, like I, I don't was, know. I, I left. I was I was asked to leave so many times. So yeah, which time? In the end, the end, end, end. The the very, right before I went to treatment this yeah, time. Yeah. How did that? Oh, so. So while living with Bam, obviously I I met I kind of was able to and then I became self sufficient. I was making my own money and, and I had my resources, so I didn't have to like ride his coattail like I did in the beginning when I was fresh off the streets of Baltimore. I had met a woman, fell in love, we were living together. I created my own life within this life. In uh, Pennsylvania. Yes. And finally, like my addiction became so bad and everyone was in unison of how bad it was. Everyone's information was relayed to each other, which is the worst thing for an addict. Um, the that, jig is up. Yeah. And, and, and I was exposed and, and my ex fiance, she put me out. She got rid of the place. She ran into Philly. Bam's like, you're not coming back here. I attempted to, here's how it really ended. I, we were on tour. We were, we were touring for fuck face unstoppable, which is Bam's the band. band. What were you doing in the band? I was the most important person in the band, but I wasn't even in the fucking band. I, I have no musical inclination in my life. I'm, I'm completely illiterate to that. But, you know, Phil Collins? Sure. And the song, I Can Hear It Coming in the Air, the night, sure. Heat of the Night. I'd open up for Fuckface Unstoppable, but I was Pill Collins. And you can Google this out there. Pill Collins for Fuckface Unstoppable. And I would come out on stage naked with a bottle of wine, and and I I sing that song almost karaoke and just chop it the fuck up and intro the band and I'm throwing very Gigi Allenish throwing wine on the crowd smoking fucking uh, just I'm naked and then I'd intro the band and then when the big drum solo then I'd intro Bam and he'd come running out and like fucking jump fly kick me right to the face and then the rock show would just start really great time <laughs> but we were about to go on tour to Australia. I'm in Baltimore. My ex kicked me out. Um, this is my last chance to get into the good graces of Bam and the crew again and make some money. But I'm fucking at the peak of my addiction. I'm, I'm back in my mother's in Baltimore, and it's it's bad. And uh, they invite me on this tour. I think I get my, my mother to give me like two, three hundred bucks. I go buy all this fucking dope and Xanax, and, and I 
somehow end up at Bam's house and I'm so fucked up. They take one look at me and they're like, you, there's no way. Fuck you. Get out of this house. Now I have like nowhere to go. Nothing. Like that was my last opportunity of, of any sort of redemption. <laughs> and and then you just were like, I got to go to treatment. Yeah. Fuck. And how long? And, and was Viva La Bam still on? No, no. This is the end. This is 2015 of that story. Right. And Bam, Bam's disease is fucking kicked Full in. blown. I don't know. I don't know anything about Bam. Like I only know Bam from Instagram, really. Yeah. I know what he looked like. Mm -hmm. And I watched CKY videos to see you for my research. But sure. I wasn't like in the I mean, I'm a little bit older, whatever. I just I wasn't in the world of Bam. But uh Seems like he's getting his shit together now, finally. He's doing amazing at the moment. And he was in DopeyCon, too. You put him in DopeyCon, too. You did a video with him at some fucking event and put it in DopeyCon, too. And I was like, wow, look, Bam Margera is in DopeyCon. There we go. It was cool. So, like, uh, how was your relationship? Your relationship was fucking beautiful when you're little kids. Yeah. When you're this junkie and he's this kind of fading TV star. Yeah. Like... Is there any like connection or does the connection only come when you get sober? Well, I mean, we're, we're best of friends, but obviously when people are in the height of their alcoholism, addiction, whatever their deal is, you know, it can be crazy. Hurt people, hurt people. Sure. And, and before you're, 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 you're whole, you're generally hurt for some reason. And, uh, and I've experienced it and he's experienced it. So I've always known like when that issue's going on that like it's never personal. Like whatever's being said or done to each other. It's kind of just business for you know. And um I've always I this might sound really crazy to say, but I believe again See, for me today, coming up, I've just celebrated seven years, it's really easy, it's so easy for me to look back and recognize the synchronicity in life's events that have literally led me here to this table with you, that proved to me that like God has been doing for me so much more and so much bigger and longer than I ever had imagined. So I, knowing that now, I, I really believe that I, I was kind of brought through what I went through in order to be a friend to my friend in his toughest, darkest times. And are you finding him again? Like, yeah. is he emerging from the he, craziness? He, uh, you know, I can honestly tell you right now, he's the, the closest and, and more purest version of, of the guy that I grew up with at 11 years old that I've ever met in my life uh, or, or experienced in our relationship. All right, here's a fucked up question. Mm -hmm. All right, when you're... Like, I mean, he's constantly hurting you, too. In all these TV shows, he's punching you, but he's you have kicking to, you. And, and people say that a lot. But if you weigh the scales of justice, what pain would be worse? Prior to ending up on these shows where I'm, I'm just abused regularly, um, I was a homeless heroin addict living on the streets of Baltimore, eating out of trash cans. No, no, no. I know cross, he gave you a so, life. But but no, but so, so, so knowing that and then getting catapulted into this this TV show where I get paid, I get drugs, I get women, fame, fortune, all that. It's like, it, it's really easy to see like, oh, well, this is fucking, uh, this is amazing. This is like hitting the lotto compared to what was before. No, so like when, when he's, and, and this is not even, a, this is not a fair question. It's a stupid question. So I'm setting that up first of all. Fucking, is there any part of you that's like, fuck this guy, he, he like, he's, he's fucked me over in any kind of way. Is there any piece of you when you resented him, some sort of come up and some sort of like, I know you love Bam. Sure. You know, 
but it's even a fair question sure. as from where i'm sitting yeah. it was like like you you got the shit kicked out of you and you were the court jester and you were the living television and i'm sure it fucked with your self-esteem you know and and you've you've managed to put together like years of esteemable acts. So I see you with self-esteem. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And here, I mean, it's like, I'm even talking myself out of this question. No, I, I, <laughs> yeah, because you're going way too yeah, long with I, it. I'm talking and, myself and out of this I, 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 I swear to God, uh, truth be told, people have asked this question. Like, you're not the first, and you won't be the last, which allows me to believe that, like, it, that picture's painted. Does and, that make me a worse interviewer? Or no, okay. no. Okay. It, but... And it's, it's I, I enjoy this, but I thoroughly mean it when I say it that if if that offer wasn't extended that day in the skate shop for me to come there and for him to invest his time and interest in into helping me get better, I'd be in that plot that my mother bought me. No questions asked. That just has my name on it. And then you know, moving forward from there and all the the stunts and the this and the that, you know. It's kind of like I showed up for that. I was never like, oh, this is it. And if you don't do this, you're fuck, fuck. You know what I mean? Like I was down for because my life was chaos, confusion, like destruction, just carnage. So like fucking getting kicked, getting punched and fuck. Yeah. Sign. Like I would sign, sign up for those up. things. Sign me up. Because the fucking pain of that was so much less than the pain of what I would return back to not saying that that was ever an ultimatum. Like if you don't do this, you have to go back to Baltimore, but just where I came from, as opposed to where I ended up, it was like outhouse to white house. It's also the gift that kept on giving. He saved your life and, and, and it put you on the mat. Like you were a pro skater, but you were a pro skater that was going to die in a fucking yeah. house in Baltimore. Bam was like a genius. He like figured out so much fucking shit created, uh, an enterprise that that employed a bunch of his friends gave you guys fame and and i'm just thinking and about that, this now it, it probably set it up that novak's house gets to help thousands of people as you're going to say that depending on how deep you want to go down this hole the platform that i was blessed with the ability of creating as a direct result of that you know the, the, the um platform right. that okay. I was built and, sure. and all these new people to follow my shit, I can now use to say, hey, if anyone out there is struggling and needs help, call me or my team directly. Like English Dan did. So like defects turn to assets. You know what I mean? And because Bam gave you that shot, that these platform, people the exposure get the, to yeah. millions of people. Yeah. Now I get to take that negative and turn it into a positive that helps fucking countless, countless, countless people. And because my story was always... Uh, exposed, televised, written about, talked about, walking TV, it gives me more credibility today for people like English Dan that call me like, dude, I know your story. I witnessed it firsthand. You were fucked. But if you can get it, so can I. So, you know what I mean? It's all perspective how we started this show. Perspective and acceptance. Absolutely. And I think, I think for me, like having talked to you three times, meeting you is a much different experience. And like, I'm really happy that you came. Like, it's like fucking cool. Cause also like, I mean, Brandon took a phone call before we started where he's helping some kid and, and working with the kid's dad. And it was just really beautiful because obviously it's just, you care and they care about you. And like, 
if you don't hear you or you don't know you, you don't know that reality until you see it or hear it. You know what I mean? It was just so, it was like warm and fuzzy and, and sweet and real. Is this where we're going to talk about the endless loads again? Limitless loads Limit- from the grizzled prospector. <laughs> Absolutely. Dude, I mean, like, I appreciate you. Now- I don't think about that shit much. I just kind of go, you know, from one thing to the next. So I don't slow down to think about what the outside perspective looks like to passer buyers. All right. Well, so thank you for that. But you're not going to get my endless limitless loads. I want the limitless loads. When, when me and Chris started making the show, we would talk about trying to find the limitless load of downloads. Like that's what we wanted to find. And I just heard this, this passage in the book at my meeting. And I was like, it was just, I, I want the limitless load of like of the good stuff and you get it by giving it and forget about your, your sick shoot, <laughs> shooting ropes and all this stuff. I saw you on Howard Stern with, with bam this morning. Yeah. I watched you like shirtless. Like how did it occur that you should go on Howard Stern shirtless was Bam like, just take off your shirt. Very, very easy. Like, how did that happen? That interview's like early in the morning, 5, 6 a.m. Yeah. And we figured that if we went to sleep, we would definitely oversleep. So we stayed up by doing an abundance of cocaine and just endless amounts of drinks, which then led to me walking in there. I don't even, shirtless, whatever else lists. I, I think I licked Richard Christie's hemorrhoid asshole. Wow. Um, and, uh, and, and Artie Lang gave me a subutex because I was ill that day wow yeah my first ever subject already looked out Ar- yeah. did already know how did how did it come up that you were dope sick to Artie? oh uh, well we, again the walking tv band just kind of got me going on stories and uh and just saying that you were a I, heroin addict i think we started talking and you know you you spot it you got it yeah and and we didn't have a sideline conversation but i think after the interview him and i spoke and i said i, didn't, I probably said it whatever you know and he, but this is before they had made their way into the U.S. It was only like in in Europe and stuff when they had those. And Artie was getting them like experimentally. I don't know how he was getting them, but he. So that was your first subutex from Artie Lang. Yeah, Artie, which I have a I have a, a I do my own content. It's funny that this has come up because I actually talked about that, and that piece will be coming out very soon. All right. Well, yeah. Artie Lang is like uh, one of my all time favorites. Like I spent. Maybe two and a half years stalking him. His book was great, Too Fat to Fish. Too Fat to Fish is incredible. I stalked him for two years to come on Dopey, and we did it. We did it in uh, in Hoboken, and that was the last time I saw Chris alive. It was on the uh, the ferry really? back from Artie Lang's house. And How's, the two of them were high. The two of them were high, and I didn't even I couldn't even pick up on it because really? I was so focused in the interview. Sure, sure. You know, and everyone's like, "You're a fucking idiot that you couldn't tell." No. And I was just like, I was just in it. You know what I mean? That's uh, that's tricky territory to be in. You know, they always say, "Be careful about meeting your idol." Ah, that was the other question I wanted to ask you, and I heard you talk about this on Stevo, where they talk about how somebody who works in the field uh-huh. is more prone to relapsing than just a, an addict in recovery. One hundred percent. So. How could you see, what's the worst case scenario and how do you guard against it? My worst case scenario is what I've witnessed and know to be true um, through the experience of others, which is how I learn most of the things these days, um, is that people that work within the field of, of alcoholism and addiction, they, and are also sober or in recovery, when that line in the sand gets blurred from work being work and recovery being recovery and treating them as two separate entities and then they 
the line is blurred, they merge, become one, and you start treating your work like your recovery or your recovery like your work. My experiences and what I've witnessed is, not is, but what I've witnessed time and time again uh, is, is not a matter of if, but when you'll use again. So you're saying you have to keep your work separate it from your recovery? It has to be. Like dopey can't be my recovery? No. Are you sure? Yeah. No, I, mean, I agree. No, I agree. And I think, uh, I think that's, that, that makes a lot of sense. Dude, thank you for coming. I, I can't thank you enough. <laughs> you're not getting more endless loads out of me. I want limitless loads. <laughs> Uh, I'm not coming. You're not getting limitless. What did loads. you think? What do you think about uh, being in, in my it's dad's so house? Much did better, you have a good man. time? I, I enjoyed this so much more than the last encounters we've had. I, I could talk for hours here. I'm more entertained. I'm more interested. I'm more engaged. Before we go, do you want to see? Uh, there's a guy named Mick Popham mm-hmm. who's a Dopey Nation fucking you know OG type. Mm-hmm. He's a heroin addict from England that moved to New Zealand, and he sent in a story on video. You want to see the video? Yeah. Before I go, though, if anyone out there, as per usual, needs help. Oh, we're going to get to that. Yeah. You want to give the number here? Yeah. All right. Getting into treatment. You can call me directly, and as you heard, I answer. But I'm a human, and I can only take so many calls. And if I don't, my team, my very select close team that I work with, will. That number is 610-600-9174. And thank God you answered for English Dan, because what if I'd be a real like, asshole? Novak didn't answer. Uh-huh. What fucking... Which I get those. I'm so. sure. I'm sure you have to. You can't answer every Dude. fucking call. And DopeyCon three, October first. I've I've slated that you're gonna be there. Yeah, it's it's, it's an in person thing. In person, it's gonna Andy Roy's coming too. Yeah, it's gonna my, be. It's gonna I be, love him. It's gonna. Be I did happening. an intervention on him. Where at? At Bam's house. Well, we did we did an intervention on. I did an intervention on Bam. Uh, and Bam was reluctant and hesitant, and I looked over at Andy, and he was Bam had brought him in. I remember that. And uh, and Andy had that look in his eye. He his life was real bad. Yeah. And I said, Andy, do you want help? And he said, Absolutely. He's like, Sign me. He's doing good. And I got him a scholarship. We sent him to treatment. Yeah, he's, he's I love that guy to death. His heart he's, is he's big. A dear friend. His of heart mine. is fucking big. I talked to him last week. Yeah. Um, funny. Oh, he'll be there. That makes it so much better. All right, good. Um, here's Mick Popham. Here we go. Hello, Dave. Hello, Dopey Nation. It's Mick here. I've really been enjoying the um, YouTube and Patreon content recently, and I was thinking how cool it would be if maybe some members of the Dopey Nation sent in some some of their Dopey stories on video. Um, It would be cool to see a few of them spliced together and uh, put on the Patreon or YouTube page if if, if people were willing. I know I'd love to see it. I always enjoy hearing good old-fashioned dopey stories. <laughs> so that'd be a really cool little thing to do. Um, anyway, here's a quick one for you. Um, I spent most of my life living in London, um, and when I came off the rails, uh, at one point I was supporting myself by um, selling, well, moving drugs for people. Um, at one of these times, my habit got quite big, and I got into shooting speedballs and um, I remember I was sitting in my flat apartment, my little shithole flat with my mate and uh, we were going to go and do a bit of shopping in town. Um, You know, times were going quite good. We had a bit of spare cash, um, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, first thing to do obviously is cook up a speedball, um, which I did. Um, Cooked it up, draw it up into the spike and um, just as I'm about to get down to business the phone rings 
um, and it's the guy who I work for. So I pick it up and I chat with him and I'm starting to mosey around the flat while I'm talking to him, sorting out some bits for work tomorrow. Um, and then I hear beep on the phone and there's the call waiting thing. So just as I get off the phone with him, it's my mum. So I'm like, shit, I better talk to mum and I'll get this out of the way and then I can be on my way. Uh, so I talk to my mum and um, chat to her for about five minutes, ten minutes and then put the phone down. I'm like, mm, I can't find the spike, which is loaded, drawn up with the gear in it. Fucking banging big fucking speedball. Um... Uh, so I can't find them. searching around looking looking can't find it can't find it at that point in time I had plenty of gear plenty of drugs and that so I just I was like, fuck it it'll, it'll, it'll turn up later I had to go my mates come and go come on let's go I want to go so I'd quickly cook up a second one shoot it and then whoosh off we go wee um, go down the um, road this is in London um, to the local mall shopping centre um, big 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 place um and um, classic big fucking mall. So we're mooching around and um, it's great, you know, speeding away, but got that nice little cushion of the dope as well. And um, we go fucking buy some DVDs and I think we probably nicked a couple as well just for the hell of it because <laughs> why not, you know? Good honest behaviour. Not. But anyway, um, that was then. So yeah, we, we're going around, we're going to a couple of different clothing shops and that. And I'm just starting, like, the, the coke's just starting to wear off, you know, that sort of post where it's still there, but, you know, the dope's taken over, but you just get, I, I used to just get that little bit of paranoia when the coke would wear off a bit. And then, um, and I'm thinking, people are looking at me funny here. I'm not sure about this. Um, but it wasn't too bad, I and mean, my mate was still all jolly, so um, I um, said to him, let's, let's grab a snack. I hadn't eaten since the day before, and obviously you don't eat much when you're shooting coke. But um, with speedballs, after 24 hours of not eating, I reckon I could do a fucking cheeseburger. And I wanted to get out of the main bit of the mall anyway, because I was getting paranoid that people were looking at me funny. Um, so off we go, down to the food court pit, and I uh, went to McDonald's, ordered a cheeseburger. And the kid behind the counter was this real dopey-looking kid, um, he, he looked like a junkie, he really did, he was just a real young, skinny, classic junkie looking character. Now at this point I had longer hair, sort of down almost to my shoulders, and he had the same sort of haircut, like sort of classic early 2000s, fucking long, wannabe rock star, fucking indie rock haircut. And the kid's looking at me, he's looking right at me, and he's like, he's looking at me and he's going like this, with his hair. And I go... Like this, uh, you know, sometimes like when someone sniffs or wipes and that, you kind of copy it. I, I go like that and I go. The fucking loaded syringe with a fucking speedball in the barrel, light brown in colour, is stuck behind my ear, just like a builder's pencil, like that. And it had obviously been there the entire time. We'd been into about five or six different shops. Now, granted, I had longer hair at the time. But it was the orange tip of a classic fucking Ceramo insulin syringe sticking out of my wannabe indie haircut and had been for about two hours. So <laughs> I was very grateful to the kid. I did the sort of surreptitious room, take it out, shove it in my pocket and like grab my cheeseburger and fucked off. <laughs> and then and that was the end of that. Anyway, that's a dopey story. Um, 
I hope everyone out there in the Dopey Nation is happy and well. Dave, I hope you're keeping well, mate. And um, like I say, I'd love to see some Dopey video stories from members of the nation if they were keen. I think it would be great fun. All right. Love to all. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Then you can cut it. Toodles for Chris. Say it out here. So that's why you should have video these. I, before I got here, I said, is it audio it or video? Been, I would have looked terrible compared you said, to you. Oh, you look so just, beautiful. It's just audio. I'm the, I'm the grizzled prospector. But Nick Popham's got a, that's a classic story. And if you would have videoed this, you could have cut splices out of pieces of it and, and turned it into videos and obliged to his request. We should have had your boy come and shoot this thing. Your I know. I know. I, well, I, next time. I tried. Next he's time. fucking Gatlin. Lord knows where he's at. He's gallivanting around. Dude, uh, what do you think about Mick's story? I think, um, I think. I love the needle behind the ear. <laughs> I just saw a meme of that recently, of, of a guy and a girl and, and, and the needle. Behind. I've been there. I've played that game. I My problem was I always used to, to lose the orange tip, the caps. So I'd have to, I'd, I'd pull, um, which is terrible because then you get cotton fever, which happened to me a lot. I'd put a cigarette butt on it. Oh, no. And that's how I'd have to do mine. So I could never put them in my pocket because I always lose the caps. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, that, something like that could have happened to me when I had the eight grand. Then I'd lose a nice speedball. But otherwise, like, there was no, that was my everything. Well, he he found it and he got to use it. I mean, you were like after you were watching, you were like, I'm surprised they they didn't catch him stealing DVDs and found the fucking the syringe. big orange. Yeah, because I could totally envision that. Well, that was a good day for him. I love the McPopham story. I love the innocuous needle behind the ear and the the junky fucking McDonald's clerk. I'm more impressed that he hung up with the drug dealer and took the phone call from his mother before injecting the speedball. That's impressive. Well, I think he has similar mother issues that you do. He loves his mom. I don't know if I'd call that an issue. It's a good thing. I would have shot the speedball. I'm a terrible I'd, Same. I'd, I'd do the speedball. And, but he sounded like he had an abundance of that. He did. At the time. He did. Thank God he's sober. And that was my favorite thing. Speed, I could fucking give a fuck less about a shot of dope right now. But a speedball will get my mouth watering just thinking about it. That that was my... That was that was your love. Oof, yeah. I, 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 I did a bunch of speedballs. I did a bunch of like goofballs in L.A. And... um. It wasn't my thing. I just did it because I could. You know what I mean? I did it because I could. I just liked heroin. I liked heroin. I liked pills. I liked bud. What about, let me ask you this before we go. How many before we goes are there? In, in, the, in the Novak House universe, does legal weed fuck it up? Does Kratom fuck it up? Are these issues at Novak's house? No, because the, 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 the people that I get at, at my sober living houses are... are uh... They're the bottom of the barrel. They're like the the, the most the most undesirable people in humanity, right? Like, so the point of that story or me sharing that is the willingness is like there in abundance. Because so is kratom allowed? No, is kratom allowed? allowed? But they're not the kind that are coming with a with a script for or a medical marijuana card. Like they're the ones that have fucking the the wasted youth that just everyone's done with. And they and before they get to my house, which scholarships are available. And I share this with all of them. Like, don't waste your time or ours if you're not serious about staying sober. This isn't a house you can kind of get lost in. Like, don't. There's cheaper houses down the street where you can get away with so much more. Here you come to I'll work. I'll give you the Do address. The yeah. Like, you have to be willing to follow our structured program. And 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 thank God, the common problem that we come up against is not 
relapsing in the house. That's not it. I'm not going to want it. It's, it's, um, they don't want to follow the structure. Well, what, what's the structure? It's just a simple 12 step based. You have to have a sponsor. You have to go to so many meetings a week. You have, um, 30 day blackout when you get there. There's a live in house manager. You have to give random your analysis. No women at the house. You know, it's, it's nothing that like is going to break the bank, but. And it's, you have three men's houses right now? Three and, and God willing, four. Hopefully, any phone call. I'm waiting to close on this fourth house. Yes. Well, as we speak, the fourth Novak house might open. Uh, Brandon, any, thank, any day, yeah. thank you a million times for coming. It was an honor. I love you. I appreciate you. And uh, thank you for allowing me into your Jewish kingdom. Nice. And stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Cheers. What's up, Dave and Chris? My name's Jake. I'm 25 years old from West Virginia. I just found Dopey about two weeks ago, and it's my favorite podcast of all time. Y'all are hilarious, and it's just gotten me through some really hard times. And Though I'm not clean myself, you know, it gives me a lot of hope for the future. Um, I really like Dave's song, and I'm going to do a little cover of it here on my banjo. Hope y'all don't mind too much. I wrote a uh, third verse myself. Sorry about the poor quality. It's just on my phone. And, uh, sorry about the banjos. Things hard to keep in tune. <clears throat> Wanna take a walk around the world. Wonder would it do me any good. Till I get some honey in my pockets And I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood and I wanna be good so bad Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had I wanna take a ride up in the sky Watch the airplanes just passing by And I want to see a Learjetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive I want to be good so bad I want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had in my burned out basement listening to the dopey show Home friends I had are on this little radio I keep checking on my pulse because it feels like I might die But the thought straightening up sounds so much better when you're high And I wanna be good so bad I wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Well, I hope y'all hear this Makes it through the, uh Big inbox emails. Feel free to 
play a clip on the show if you want. I, if not, I know it kind of sucks. All right, I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, y'all.